welcome. My name is Tim. And I'm Dan T. And I'm Herfy Durfy. And this is com- completely wrong, I this think. Is, yeah. Yeah. Mm. This doesn't sound right. Um, <clears throat> let, let me try it. Uh, and, and this is uh, 99% invisible. No. Uh, this is ours. this is what happens when we don't have the script. Um, hang on, we gotta we gotta get the, we need to redo this. I think. We, yeah, we need some help here. Yeah, someone someone needs to turn on a light, maybe. Okay. Huh. All right. Oh oh, oh Herf. Uh, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but are your cigarettes nearby? <laughs> of course. How could I ever be anywhere without them? <laughs> okay, I think you can help us out of this jam. Okay, hang on. Let me let me see what I can do here. All right, try it. Try it now, Dante. Okay. Actually, no. I'm I'm not I'm not Tim. I think that's you. Oh, okay. We uh, so we messed up the beginning a little bit, and then it all went completely off the rails. Well, we couldn't even get there. the name of this right. Yeah. So yeah. okay. All right, now we can see. So uh, do your thing. All right, here we go. Hello and welcome. My name is Tim. I'm Dante. And I'm Herfy Durfy. And this is Go Mode, a link to the past randomizer podcast. That feels good. That feels way better. Yeah, that, that uh, I think we got. Right. It. Yeah, this is what happens when I'm when I try to take charge. Uh, <laughs> uh, I know no. our our mentor tournament admins have seen what happens when I take charge. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's somebody's got to do it. But um, yeah, we just we we missed it at the beginning because we didn't have that guide. We didn't have that lantern with us. That metaphorical lantern, if you will. Uh, but now now we're good to go and we got it. And since we're already sort of talking about it, let's make this episode all about dark rooms. This is the one to click on in your feed if you are just frustrated to death with not being able to see what you're doing in certain rooms of certain dungeons. We're going to give you some tips to practice dark rooms, general truths about all of them, and we'll get into specifics about each one in the game as well. And uh, just try to try to make you better at dark rooms. It'll make you faster. So um, that is coming up on Go Mode. But before we do that, of course, as always, we got to get into the news. And we're going to start with the Mentor Tournament, of course. So right now, uh, we are finishing up week one of brackets, the first uh, sort of unnamed bracket uh, week. Uh, next week, uh, as this comes out, the week that you're listening to this is quarterfinals going on next week's semis and then we have our finals so we're in the middle of brackets we've had our first eliminations um which is pretty pretty notable pretty significant um i'm noticing a lot less disappointment over being eliminated this year than i did last since anyone who's being eliminated has had seven races at this point so um you know that that's a, a pretty decent amount of time and also i'm seeing a lot of pickup races in our discord too so people are still racing quite a bit even if they're eliminated but we do still have um, uh, half of the participants in brackets uh, as of right now, and, and even more being eliminated as, as you listen to this. Um, but it's just been going really good. I mean, I don't really, uh, you know, I don't want to get into like little problems. You know, we've had little things crop up here and there. That's just the nature of adminning and dealing with, you know, how many people even total are involved with this when you have restreamers, racers, like maybe Man. around a hundred people or so, mm-hmm. you know, things are going to pop up. It's, it's, it's understood and it's nothing to get upset about. I think the things that have popped up have been very minor and we've handled them very well. And, um, everything's just going really well. Yeah. What, what do you guys think? 
Yeah, I think it's amazing with uh, how well we progressed through everything. Uh, I think we talked about this a while ago in the host channel as well, but it's really cool to see how much improvement there's been for people just in general. You know, we've had people starting out the tournament with barely any experience and kind of being, you know, shy of streaming, not really sure what to expect from a competitive race and so on and so forth. And now they're they're really starting to shine. They're putting up good times. They're they're getting through their seats. They're they're organizing pickup races, as you said. Uh, I think it's pretty cool. That is cool. Dancy, what do you think? I mean, everything has been going smooth, like you were saying, so it's kind of kind of eerie. Uh, as far as the administrative <laughs> stuff goes, <clears throat> but but other than that, uh, it's been exciting to you know kind of keep up with, watch the progress, kind of like Herf was talking about. Um, you know, we've seen tons and tons of improvement, whether it be you know PBs or just execution. There's minor things that you can notice. Uh, the mentors really, I remember being a mentor last year and really picking up on this with people you mentor more than once, where you see those improvements that are really minor, but benefit you the long term over an entire run so uh i'm sure the mentors see even more than we have you know just working with these guys whether it be during the race or even you know people who are volunteering their time uh you know off off of races so to speak just in spare practice time yeah we've had several people request or kind of talk about the idea of like handing out superlatives at the end of this like most improved um, you know, uh, best attitude, just like whatever we can think of, really. And uh, I, I'm definitely open to that. We, we will, of course, do sort of a, a wrap up where we invite the winner on and uh, a mentor um, to interview, as as we stated at the beginning of all of this. And uh, when we do that, I think we'll we'll also talk a little bit more in depth about the conclusion of the tournament, what we you know improvements we might make if we do it again next year, all the, all that stuff. So um, we'll we'll talk a lot more about that when it concludes in uh, a couple weeks, um, probably the episode after next uh, or something like that. We'll we'll get it all figured out. But uh, yeah, mentor tournament going along strong. So uh, good luck to everyone else who is still in the tournament. Uh, mentors, your time is kind of coming to an end here in this week because everything's going to be mentorless uh, starting in uh, semifinals. So thank you, thank you, thank you again to all of you who volunteered your time to improve newer members in the community and literally make this tournament what it is because it couldn't happen without the mentors uh, donating their time like that. So thank you very much to you guys. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll come back and talk about this more um, in, in a little bit. So uh, with that, let's move on to um, there's, there's in all honesty, there's not a ton to talk about, but I did just want to check in quickly on some of those tournaments that are going on. This is uh, summer. Summer is the time for community tournaments in the ALTTPR world, uh, and we've mentioned quite a few of them. Let's just do a brief check-in into each of these, see how they're coming along, and see how close we are to announcing winners. So with that, uh, Dante, let's take a look. Since you're in this one, let's talk about the spoiler tournament. Uh, yeah, so spoiler has concluded their Swiss it concluded with uh, the need of a tiebreaker match to determine the eighth place um, person for Swiss or from Swiss to you know advance into brackets. So uh, spoilers coming up. You know uh, I know we're talking about spoiler, but just in case you didn't want to know who won that match, uh, this is going to be our top eight really quick. Uh, number one is Kiong. Number two, uh, let's see, Aussie one hundred one three Area Roar. 
Wow, I said that terribly. Erevor. Uh, <laughs> it's a tough one. I was going to say Airy, and then, you know, I just, it kind of evolved. Uh, anyway. Uh, number, Airy Roar. <laughs> <laughs> number four, Relkin, uh, or Relkin 96. Uh, number five, Pika Pals. Number six, Zelga Disson. Uh, number seven, Freddy. And number eight, winner of that play-in match, Gerdo. Uh, this time, not being killed in the spoiler tournament by Birdos. So congratulations on leveling up. Welcome to top eight. Should be really exciting to watch. Kyung in number one seed, undefeated so far, and defending champion. So this is going to be a whole lot of fun to watch, I think, coming down to the wire here. Yeah. Kyung, of course, the creator of Z3RSim.com. We've talked about several times on this show before. It's absolutely uh, brilliant router and and, uh, executioner of this game. So, uh, yeah, that's the nature of Swiss is somebody has to come in undefeated, but it's it's still impressive. Like it statistically had to happen to somebody, but like it still always just impresses me that somebody can go through that many rounds uh, of randomly selected stronger and stronger opponents and then remain undefeated. But um, and then shout outs to Gerdo, too. Yeah, it's good to see. There's a lot of familiar names in here. Um, So that's that's very cool to see. Uh, Okay, next up, we have um, sorry. Anything else about spoiler? So we're starting out brackets now. Yeah, brackets for top eight starting now. There, you know, I, I've been an advocate of, hey, we should do a nine through sixteen bracket or something. Mm-hmm. You know, just something very off the, uh, kind of off the grid. You know, super casual. Not sure if that's going to come to fruition, but hey, that's my shameless plug of wanting to do that again since I kind of <laughs> got screwed over with the the way Swiss works with drops. So um, <laughs> that's how I missed out on top eight. Uh, probably, probably would have missed oh, it anyway. But not a huge yeah. deal because, uh, I mean, looking at these players, I probably would lose most of these matchups in spoiler just with the how stressful the route planning is. So good luck to all these guys. And moving on now, as you were saying, <laughs> we do have the French tourney uh, to talk about a little bit. Uh, the finals are actually set for that. Um, so not only are we in phase two, but we are in the finals here. The finals is going to be between Rywick and Bonta. Not sure what modes Ooh. they're allowing, but this is going to be a pretty hype thing to watch, yeah. I think. Uh, both of these very good runners. And uh, also, we've got a bronze match for that third place spot, and that is going to be between Lin 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 and Scary Olive. So yeah. two uh, another two really good runners uh, in the community. So top four, super stacked just for you know the French tournament. Yeah. We'll try to find out when those finals are. If they have not happened before uh, this episode comes out, we'll go ahead and link that. If we don't link it, you can assume they already happened, um, and we'll maybe try to link a VOD for you. That, right that now, case. right now, I did check the schedule, and none of them are scheduled just yet. So oh, okay. those are all still uh, kind of looming. I'm not sure when they're going to be scheduled for. Obviously, so we'll, uh, you know, if we get any info, we'll we'll link it, as Tim was saying. Yeah, sometimes they do English versions of these high-profile, um, you know, multi-language streams. I, I wonder mm-hmm. if that's planned. We'll have to. If it is, we'll we'll throw that in the description for you. That'd be cool. Yeah, it'd be cool to, to see, see that. Yeah. Um, all right. What else we got here? Uh, the Cross Keys tournament. How's this one going? Well, Cross Keys is you know all these people have done a fantastic job of going in and out of doors and learning connectors and piecing together logic. And uh, we're at the point of the winner's side. I, th- I think we've advanced 
to the entirety, like winners and losers side is just at the top 16. It may be, you know, like there's 18 people, 19 people left, just kind of depending on some of these loser bracket uh, matches. But the winner side is over in top eight. Some of those matches are on the schedule. They're basically in the thick of it. And uh, I'm kind of looking to see how things are going to pan out here too. A lot of really high profile names still on the winner side and a lot of high profile names um, on that loser side. The the real interesting thing, I think, is this whole tournament, if you've kept up with it at all, is a lot of high seeds really gotten, like, just they lost a lot of first, like, first round matches. So it kind of proves the volatility of cross keys, I think. But at the same time, you know, sometimes you could just go down a rabbit hole. I guess that's still volatility, but you can go down a rabbit hole chasing logic, but it leads to nothing. So uh, cross yeah. keys, super. Super entertaining sometimes. Very good. Very good. Yeah, and familiar names in that one as well. I mean, they're all familiar names. Here's the thing. Like, we've uh, now that I've been in the community for, like, almost three <laughs> years now, a lot of the names are familiar. So I have to – I kind of have to stop saying that because it's a pretty there's also uh, There's also yeah. a lot of overlap between the tournaments. Like, people from right. the Francophone or from the German or the Spoiler mm-hmm. tournament will also play in the Cross Keys tournament and so on and so forth. So, obviously, if you're, if you're just a good rando player – You'll, you'll probably show up in a couple of tournaments at a time, depending on your free time, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and then the last one we have here is the um, Camino a SG Live. Uh, and I'm not, is it Spanish? Is it Espanol? Like, I don't, I'm not sure what the proper way to refer to it is, I'll admit. But this one, uh, we have 10 participants, uh, all who are Spanish speakers. Um, and it looks like they're at the end of groups. looks like they were all playing. There was two groups of five, and they were all playing one another. Everyone has four matches recorded. So seems like they're done with groups, but I don't see that they are started in brackets or anything like that. So looks like they're about halfway done. A reminder for that tournament, uh, the winner gets flown to Speed Gaming Live at the end of this year, if it still happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, We'll we'll keep you updated on that. Of course, we're all you know very anxious to see if they, uh, you know, hold it as scheduled or if you know COVID kind of has other plans for us here in the states. Um, but yeah, so that's a little tournament roundup. I, I think that is a pretty thorough representation of everything going on around the community. We do have uh, one more to pull oh, yeah? really fast. Yeah, the German tournament. That's also. I mean, the French one oh, yeah. that's in finals, that's also for Speed Gaming Live, but so is the German one. And from what it looks like on the challenge, and I can't confirm that this is 100% correct, but from what it looks like there, uh, that has concluded their Swiss stage. And uh, that's got Jim sitting at 5-0. and um, It also has Herfy Derfy sitting at 7-0 and because, you know, he's awesome and <laughs> beating everybody. I don't know yeah, how yeah. he didn't, you know, play Jim, but I'm kidding. Uh, but, but we do have seven players sitting at four and one. Um, so I'm not really sure what's going to be next as far as the, the, the bracket, how many people are going to be advancing into that. But that's uh, another one to keep an eye on because again, this is, this does have those potential speed gaming live, uh, you know, things going on with it. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I apologize to our our German community. I totally was about to skip over your tournament, but uh, we'll get a link to that one in the description as well. Herf's gonna quit the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> just, really... just the, that was it right there. Actually, that's Herf the... was like, "Oh, German tournament? Oh, I didn't know about that." That's the straw that broke the camel's back. <laughs> the giraffe's back. 
The straw that broke the giraffe's neck. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Is it easier to break a giraffe's neck or his back? I'm not really sure. Herf, That's can a you... good question. I can't okay. really confirm or deny either of those. I think they have very strong necks because if you've ever seen two giraffes fighting, they really yeah. like swing their heads at each other. And oh, I need to watch videos of this. Neck. There's uh, a gif that gets thrown around the discords that uh, yeah. where that's happening. Yeah, it's it's outrageous. And uh, um, I think if your neck can survive that, it's probably pretty hard to break your neck. Yeah, it seems like it'd be super easy to for a giraffe's neck to break, but I guess um, they're strong. They got strong muscles to protect it. That's what we'll go with. Yeah, yeah sounds good to cool. me. All right, so this has been draft chat, uh, <laughs> <laughs> new, new segment we're trying out. <laughs> I'm done. Um, yeah. All right, so Dante, you added another thing here uh, to our itinerary. Uh, tell us about this one. Yeah, uh, I didn't add it, but um, <laughs> oh, you did. Well, I was talking to Herf about it beforehand, so I know, I'll, I'll it see seems if... unbelievable. But I added I something literally, to the outline. It, did, it didn't even occur to me that you would add something to this outline. <laughs> I know that's why it's so good, and that's why I didn't say anything. So Dancy's <laughs> gonna pass it over to Herfy Derpy to yes. uh, do this plug because it's a very important one. And here's the real mystery of the whole thing: I didn't add it either. <laughs> What? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, so uh, I was talking to Walter earlier today, and he told me that he is going to be having a crowd control race on August 1st between himself and Nilsson Alex 92 for uh, the ESA speedrunning marathon that's upcoming. Uh, apparently, they're having an online portion, or they're holding it completely online. I'm I'm not quite sure yeah. on that, to be honest. Um, and uh, yeah, those two guys are are having a crowd control race where they race against each other and it's all for charity so if you guys want to make their lives a little harder and uh you know give back to walter one of our most active mentors in the tournament really uh, oh yeah and uh, make sure to to check that out and you know toss some i don't even know what they're called for crowd control coins Something yeah like i think you, you yeah think, you donate yeah. bits you get coins and that's yeah. So get some coins flowing and, uh, you know, make their lives a little harder on August oh, you, 1st. You just reminded me, I have like seven coins. I have money wrapped up in seven coins on the Speed Gaming channel that I was going to use when Ak was doing his crowd control race. And I forgot. <laughs> and it's just sitting there. That's is, how they get you, man. Is that still from SG Live? Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. nice. Wow. I haven't used it since then. I think that's when the, would I? That's the first and only time I've ever actively used crowd control for anything. Yeah, those live those live events are are good for that. Probably. Yeah, that was real good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, okay. Well, Herf, thank you for adding that. Um, oh, and Dante has just dropped a video of drafts fighting <laughs> into our Discord. <laughs> we'll go ahead and share that in the description since we were just talking so much about it. Um, but yeah, ESA uh, it is for charity, so that's great. Um, I. I, I, I'm not speaking intelligently here, uh, but I do. I've heard some things about ESA, some controversy this year with organization of that. I, I'm just saying. I'm admitting I don't know a whole lot about that. Um, but it is a, a a link to the past randomizer event that is for charity with two wonderful members of our community participating, and I think that's worth promoting. So um, I'll let you guys do your own research on that. But uh, that is going to be on August first, and I'll be watching it. So. Um, that's that. Uh, with that, let's go on to GMP community updates. 
Tuesday, Tim here hijacking the GMP community updates real quick to fill you in on a few things. It's just for a second. Relax. Jeez. I'll get you back into the show in just a second. But first, Tuesday, Tim needs to add some stuff that live Tim forgot to say. All right. First off. You may remember back in episode 41, we had friend of the show Kern on, and he mentioned that he was trying to get 100 people into his Discord, at which point he would attempt a blindfolded ALTTPR run. Well, folks, he did it. And that blindfolded run is scheduled for this weekend, July 25th and 26th, starting at 1 p.m. EST each day, and just going until he can't anymore, I guess. Uh, drop by and give him some encouragement if you can. That should definitely be an interesting watch. There is a link to his Twitch in the description, so check that out. Secondly, and this isn't a big deal really, but I just wanted to thank all of the folks who dropped by our Discord after our last episode dropped to weigh in on the gatekeeping discussion. We had a lot of folks drop by and share some really thoughtful opinions. We had some back and forth and a little bit of disagreeing here and there, but it stayed very civil and I think it was a really great conversation. So thank you again to all who participated. Starting hard conversations like that and providing a place for our community members to continue them is one of the services that we try to provide with this show and with our Discord. And I think last week was an awesome example of that. So thank you again. Uh, all right, BWS time. Let's throw it back. So episode 51 uh, was our swordless. I didn't get a chance to play this one, but I did uh, play a seed shortly after we recorded our episode that might as well have been a swordless. Um, I, I didn't get the, the fighter sword until like my sixth or seventh crystal. Um, I wasn't able to play the BWS because I sort of got spoiled on it for some admin reasons. Not a big deal. Um, did either of you get a chance to play this one? Nope. I did not. Dang it. Sadly. I wanted to because swordless, but I think now that you mention it, I was actually spoiled too uh, for the admin stuff. But because mm. it, it, you know, we all talked about it, but I'd forgotten about it. And so thanks for reminding me. So now I can't play it. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, after the recording. Yeah. It was something to do. Actually, uh, Walter, again, was, was somebody who he, he dropped in. He must play them like right after we post them, which is, is awesome. Um, but he was like, hey, uh, Hammer was in Mire in this one, and I think during the last last episode, you kind of made it sound like you couldn't get into Mire. You had to you had to have the hammer to use the medallion to get into Mire, which is not the case. So yeah, we, we were. Yeah. I, I listened back. I remember listening to the episode, and we did say that initially, and then we corrected it, saying you only need the hammer for the like to use the book yeah. on the tablets, but. It was very easy. Like it was definitely something that we could have, you know, misled some folks on. And if we did mislead you, I'm sorry. Temp's not. Herf's not. I am. Just me. I'm sorry. I'm so, a little sorry. We also tried to clarify in the <laughs> channel too. So if you went to go download the BWS, then hopefully you read our our little warning or whatever. I'm just um, sorry for for this week because. Uh, okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go I, ahead. Go ahead. I mean, so. We're, I guess, you know, our little mishap at the start, we're talking about lamps now and dark rooms and, and stuff. So I, you know, the boss said that we should make a seed that's basically 
lampless. So unfortunately, this is going to involve the customizer. Do with that what you want. So um, I will read you the notes that are on this seed uh, or this JSON file. So basically, dark rooms are going to be fully in logic. That means with or without the fire rod. This time. Just this time. Not advanced logic. We're going to be talking about advanced logic in the future. But this seed, dark rooms are fully in logic even without the fire rod. Just this seed. I'm going to say that like 50 times. I'm sorry. But anyway, so the lamp is locked away in the Moldorm 2 chest, so you can't get it. Um, but we are going to do... I did a thing to guarantee that Dark Aga will not be required. So you can thank me for that. <laughs> but Dark Mire, Dark TR, Dark Pod, all things you may have to do. Um, the rest is the customizer. Uh, sorry in advance. Uh, Tent made me do this. That, that's <laughs> literally what these notes say. So we, we thought that... Um... We even thought about maybe requiring the dungeons that have dark rooms to be crystals, so you have to do all of them. We decided against that. We'll just let the randomizer decide which ones you have to do or don't have to do. But, you know, before you go in, now you know that they could all be on the table. So the idea is that you'll, you know, if you're not familiar with them or comfortable with them, that you'll maybe open up the prag hack before you start and you know, take, take a little time or maybe treat this one. Like, you know, you're not so concerned about the time. And just when you get to each dark room, just, you know, uh, unpack your lunch, have a quick lunch and then, you know, get to work, uh, just, you know, slowly kind of figure it out and don't, and you know, if you die, just come back and try it again. That'd be another way. I mean, you got to learn them. You really do. That's, that's what we're going to try to, you know, impress upon you during this episode. So that's so why you, we're doing it. When you unpack your lunch, what are you eating? Uh, you know, in my mind's eye, I saw like the plainest ham sandwich you could possibly imagine, like big <laughs> fluffy white bread, uh, a thin layer of mayo, one single slice of All right, this is boring. Like, round ham. <laughs> All right, her, her, what's, what's your lunch? I hope it's more exciting. My lunch? Oh man, that's a good question. Maybe some... My lunch. My lunch. <laughs> uh, maybe some pizza. I'm always All right, that's more pizza. exciting than a plain. Okay, so I guess this that was our segue, right, Tim? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, didn't you hear the flute? It already played. Wait, I think I hear the echoes coming across the valley. Ah, oh, beautiful. Okay, all right, so dark rooms. What? What is? A dark room. Herpy? <laughs> Herpy, oh, what God. is a dark room? I hate this. Uh, well, all right, fine. Since I haven't been contractually forced to talk about this. Yep. <laughs> uh, no, so dark rooms, obviously. Dark rooms are the rooms in the game that are dark. All right, next question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> So how the game presents this uh, to you on a technical standpoint is we've had some discussion about this uh, before the show because I'm personally very unhappy with calling it a black transparency filter because to me transparency always kind of suggests that it's see-through and obviously if it's black you can't see through it but that's you know the technical term for it I guess. Um, you've got select dungeon rooms and a single cave that are dark in the game and what that does is uh, the layer gets put over almost everything and makes everything pretty much pitch black so you can't see anything you can't see where you are you can't see enemies you can't see walls or chests or whatever pits anything 
Uh, there is a few exceptions to this. So Mario platforms are visible and fire bars are visible, I guess technically because they're on a higher layer is how you can imagine that than the transparency filter. Uh, to combat this in the normal game and also in rando, usually what you do is you find your lamp, which provides you with a vision cone. I'm pretty sure everyone's seen that. Uh, it's like a little triangular shaped 45 degree, I'd say, cone in front of you uh, that makes you see a little bit at least. And um, that always is in front of your sprite, so no matter where you turn. Uh, that's where your light is going to be. You also get one exception to this, which is the so-called fake cone in uh, a standard escape, where you might not have the lamp yet, but you still have to go through the dark. So essentially Zelda is providing your lamp in a way. Uh, the fake cone used to be everywhere in the light world, like way back in the day, but unfortunately it's not anymore. Um, that makes it a more interesting game. I, I kind of like the dark rooms just in general. I think it's a cool addition to ALTTPR. Yeah, they're they're definitely not bad. I, I don't dislike them. I just, you know, I'm a lazy man. I like, <laughs> I like to see where I, I'm going. I actually didn't know that the cone used to be there in the old version. And I'm just sitting here imagining the Racing Council channel. You know, when when they announce, you know, back then that, you know, we're going to get rid of that light call. <laughs> yeah, oh I mean, God, the back and forth. Back then, stuff was just announced in like release notes where they were like, hey, we got rid of the light cone. Have fun. And everyone was like, well, oh, OK, I, could, I guess. Yeah, that's it. I didn't know that either. That is interesting. Yeah, it was it was a lot more generous. Let's say it like that. You you mm. didn't only have it in Escape and then nowhere else, and then you didn't have it even in Escape and stuff. It's it's been all kinds of crazy with the light cone, but uh, it uh, I like it the way it is right now, and I also like Advanced Logic. And Estancia was uh, saying earlier we're going to be talking about that in a different episode probably, but I I like that they changed it up a little bit and made some of them semi-required or I guess required with the caveat that you need the fire rod yeah but so uh, yeah with v31 we should maybe briefly explain this with v31 they added the option for advanced item placement or basic item placement and there are some minor changes between those but the main one that, that we're talking about here is the fact that um before uh, and with ba- with basic item placement, everything that is dark is not in logic. The game will put the lamp, will, will give you the lamp before you need to encounter and complete a dark room to continue your progression or get crystals or whatever. Uh, but what advanced item placement does is it makes the dark rooms with torches uh, in logic, so that uh, assuming that you can go in with the fire rod if you have that already and you know, be in the dark for a couple seconds and then light the torch and now make your way through it. So that's in logic. There's mm-hmm. only three of them, I believe. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll enumerate them in a moment, but um, uh, yeah, that, that is kind of what's being referred to there. And I think it's a great change too. I actually won a ladder race because my opponent didn't realize that dark cross was in logic and, and last location did. Um, so I like it. <laughs> it gave me a race, so I like it. <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty interesting, and uh, that's also the you know kind of second way how you can approach at least some of these dark rooms, where there will be torches either at extremely convenient positions or at maybe sometimes not so convenient, but 
If you manage to light up a torch with your fire rod, you can definitely see the whole room. It's going to be a little darker than usual, but a lot better than just being pitch black. So, yeah, and, and to go back to what Herf was saying before about the transparency filter, we kind of debated if we wanted to kind of dive into this or not. Personally, I, I think it's important to note because if you're going to go into the practice hack and practice these, knowing that it's a transparency filter makes it a lot easier to practice. Because what it means is, say you're using SNES 9X, for example, the default hotkey to uh, disable the transparency filter is 9. So you just hit the 9 on your keyboard, and now you can see... You can practice, do what you're going to do, reset the save, turn the transparency filter back on. Now it's pitch black. Um, so that's kind of one way to, to practice dark rooms. Um, also, it it, it is, it, Herf's exactly right. It shouldn't be called a transparency filter because you can't see through it. It's extremely opaque. It's it's not transparent at all. It's like an oxymoron. Um, but there are levels of it too. And I, I didn't put this in the outline, but it's kind of interesting when you light one torch and you're in a dark room, you do get this like half colored faded, like dim light kind of look to the game. It's actually kind of cool. And then if you light another one, then you get like the full color, you know, like, like normally lit room. Um, and you'll, you'll notice this on Ganon, you know, if you do the torch glitch, it'll be half lit if you succeed in doing it, but, um, just all different interesting ways that light works in this game. Um, and I think it's important to know the basics of that when you are dealing with something like this and trying to learn it to better understand it, get, make your way through it. Um, but the number one really to, to kind of wrap up the summarization of this, and then we'll get into some specific tactics. The main thing, the reason you want to spend time on this and learn these dark rooms is if you know them, it eliminates the need for the lantern and the less items you need to get for go mode, the faster you can beat the game. It's really just that simple. That that's why you want to take time to learn as many of these dark rooms as you can. All of them, except for Aga one, I, I would say should be in the average player's toolkit. Would you guys agree with that? Um, yeah. Yeah, mostly. I, I would agree with learning them being an, a benefit to you, absolutely. I would just be careful with completely eliminating the lamp from your like thoughts about logic, because in Aga, uh, in Aga, in Ganon's Tower, you don't have any dark rooms, but you have some rooms where the lamp is a lot more useful or helpful than uh, a fire rod can be. True. So you might not want to go to a GT without a lamp. It's it's not as bad as going there without a fire rod, potentially, but, you know. Yeah. But the point stands that you will be faster if you know how to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm not saying don't learn them. I think dark, learning all the dark rooms is important and makes you, in general, faster in your seat. Mm-hmm. There is one more thing um, yeah. to kind of touch on here as far as like being able to practice these. So um, you mentioned like pressing nine. Well, I mean, that, that can be bad. That means you're going to leave. I'll, I'll kind of just put this out there that you if you leave your hotkeys active, that could cause accidental problems um, in your races. So maybe you are that that runner that's already disabled your hotkeys and you don't know which transparency layer to turn back on as far as a hotkey. The other thing would be maybe you play on, you know, actual console, whether it be SD to SNES or, you know, like a super NT. If you're in the practice hack, uh, if you do have version 13 uh, or any variant of version 13, the first menu that has gameplay uh, 
inside there, there is an option that says lit rooms. And if you change that to yes, it takes away that transparency filter. So that's kind of the best way to practice it, I, I would say. Mm. You know, just to have that knowledge in case you have disabled your hotkeys and instead of like accidentally screwing up your emulator by trying to re-enable it and getting it wrong, you know, that's that's an option as well as far as the practice hack goes. Yeah, I think we've all had a situation where you start a seed and then you walk into Lost Woods and you're like, wow, it's really bright in here. What's going on? It's because your transparency filter is turned off and the mist that's normally there is not there. So that's like an early indication that you're you need to hit nine real quick or else risk disqualification in your race. Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's a good point about the lit rooms and the practice hack, uh, anything that's going to make this easier to practice. That's kind of what this episode is all about. I, I don't think you're going to be able to listen this, listen to this and be like, I know the dark rooms now, but you know, the idea is just to give you some tools to help you to get better at them. If, and when you do sit down and practice them, you know, maybe we can make your practice session last 15 minutes instead of an hour, something like that, you know? Yeah. Okay, so with that, let's get into some of these universal truths about dark rooms. Uh, this is true for any room that is dark in this game. The first one I have here is that uh, one of the things that is going to be extremely helpful to you when you're in a dark room is to be able to track your own position, uh, your own sprite's position, where you are in the room. And just about any Y item and also your sword can help pinpoint your sprite's position in the room. So this is pretty critical. Um, we I have these kind of sectioned out into tier lists of like the best items to use, the okay items to use, and the like, is this really all you have items to use? Um, so let's start with the good items. And, and we can debate and you know shuff, shuffle these around if you guys have differing opinions here. I think the number one best item to use to track your own position is the sword. There's four of them in the game. It's There's a good chance you'll have one. Not always, but a good chance you'll have one. Uh, it's a B button so you can uh, use other items, which is convenient. Um, and it has that little, like, sprinkle. That little, like, uh, you know, sprinkle that's in front of you. And that tell it's right in front of, of Link or your sprite or whatever. So you know exactly where you are. What's that sound? One more time. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I, I think for one of those, we'll, it'll actually be me. And the other one, I'll drop in the sound effect. I'm not sure which one will be which, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, so it makes you walk a little slower, and of course it makes you strafe, um, which can, uh, you know, be something kind of confusing, but that's just what it is. And I, I think sword is is the best because it, it gets held out the whole time. It doesn't drain magic. Um, so that's that's how you'll see most people navigate dark rooms is they'll get out their sword before they get in and just hold it the whole time. Uh, if you don't have a sword, uh, but you do have a hammer, say you're playing swordless, um, hammer is great too. It just appears directly in front of you. Um, it shows for about, uh, you know, a quarter of, of a second or so, and then it goes away. Um, and it's also, it has the added benefit of being a, a weapon so you can, you know, kill things that are in, in front of your face, which is nice. Uh, and then the shovel actually ends up being pretty good too, because it's, you know, sort of similar to the hammer. It just kind of appears in your hands and then goes away. And if you don't have anything else, that'll at least show you where you are and it doesn't cost anything to use. So I put those three in the good idea to use tier. Next up, we have our okay. These are all um, good and certainly va valid. Uh, just they have some drawbacks to them. So the first one I have here is the boots. Um, so if you just tap the A button real quick, you know, Link uh, kind of does the Wily Coyote run in place and kicks up some dust. That dust is visible in, in the dark. So you can use that to see where you are. If you wanted to like tap the A button over and over, you could 
track your location pretty easily. Now, unfortunately, you know, if you tap the A button like that, you're going to walk at about half speed. So for really easy dark rooms, like maybe EP1, um, that's not really necessary. Uh, and it's just going to, it's going to slow you down more than help you at, at, at a certain point. So uh, boots can be good for that, but make you go a little slower. Uh, extending items like the hookshot and the boomerangs um, are great because, you know, they show you where, you know, wherever it starts from is where you are, of course. But of course, they're going to take a long time to retract or come back or whatever. And you kind of have to just stand there and wait. Um, and a lot of time it's not showing you where you are. It's showing you where that thing is. And then, you know, with the case of the boomerang, you could move. And now it's not really showing you where you are anymore. So it's 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 got its downfalls. Uh, the canes also can be used. Uh, blue cane is actually pretty good because it just circles around you. It makes you invulnerable. Um, it's a really good indicator of where you are. But, of course, it's going to drain your magic. Uh, even with half magic, it's going to be gone pretty quickly. So um, that puts it in our second tier. And then the red cane. Um, I had this a lot lower. And then Herf actually uh, uh, made made a case for it, and, and we moved it up to the second tier. So Herf, tell us about the, the red cane. Yeah, um, with the red cane, you can pretty easily make a block and pick it up and then walk around with it over your head, and it makes it really easy to see where you are. Obviously, the downside is you can't really defend yourself. So if you're in danger of walking into an enemy or a fire bar or something along those lines, uh, those will not only hurt you, but also make you throw your Somaria block away. So that that can be a little annoying, but if, you, if you're pretty safe or if you know the dark room pretty well or if you know that there's not necessarily any enemies or any hazards in your way, you can just make a block and pick it up, and that's that's a pretty good method of finding out where you're going. And maybe you'll even uh, kill an enemy or two if you have to blow it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one we have in our second tier is the fire rod, which of course has other pretty useful uh, uses in in these dark rooms, being able to light certain torches. But you could also use it, you know, to show you where you are, and also to kill enemies. Of course, it's also a, a magic drain. And there's that incineration that we talked about last week. When you hit an enemy with the fire rod, they they're kind of slow to die, um, so that's sort of inconvenient. And then we have our third tier here. The is that really all you have tier? Uh, magic powder will, you know, flutter in front of you and show you where you are. It does use a very small amount of magic, but I mean, you're just throwing your resources on the ground <laughs> to, to see where you are. I could see using it in a pinch, but, um, you know, it's, it's not ideal. Of course, ice rod, same thing really is the fire rod without the added benefit of being able to light torches, uh, consumes magic. Uh, it's slow. You know, it's got that weird acceleration that we talked about last time that makes it sort of not that reliable for calibration. Uh, bows, bow and arrows and bombs. The bow and arrows and bombs. Uh, again, same thing. They're, they're kind of slow to use and they totally drain your resources, especially bombs. Bombs also are dangerous. You know, you can accidentally run into that sucker. So really not the best to be using bombs for that, but you could. And then the last one here, the last tier, is just going completely swordless and itemless. And maybe you even have some of these items in your arsenal. But, you know, in an example I used before of, of Eastern Palace First Dark Room, it's really easy. And once you know it, like, I'll, I just, like, walk straight to it a lot of times. I don't even have a sword out. I just, I know where it is. It's all very simple. You just you just do it itemless and swordless. So that, just to, to say, that is always a valid option. You don't always need to know exactly where the sprite is. It just helps for some of the more complicated ones. Um, any other thoughts about calibrating your own location within dark rooms? Well, 
I would make, so I have two things. The first okay. is I would make the same case for bombs that I kind of did for the red cane and then you can pick it up and walk around with it and then throw it away before it explodes, which, make, which makes it a little less dangerous. So okay. maybe not, you know, all that terrible to use bombs, but uh, bombs are kind of a, a hot commodity these days where you don't get free bomb upgrades and chests anymore. Right. So I'd be careful with that. And uh, for the hammer and the shovel both, I would say what you said is perfectly correct. But the big downside is that both of them stop you dead in your tracks when you use them. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you're trying to walk somewhere, whenever you use the shovel or the hammer, you will just stop walking. And that also makes it pretty slow most of the time. Yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. It, it could be frustrating to have to keep doing that over and over. And it can kind of mess with your, um, like, if you've practiced these, you kind of get to memorizing, like, how long to hold certain directions. If you're using the hammer to figure out where you are, like, that can mess with your calculations of how long mm -hmm. to hold the, the directional pads, you know? So, it, yeah, it, it arrests your momentum and it, it makes it a little more difficult to keep the flow of things going. That is a very good point. Sword is really going to be best. Uh, this is just a brief look at, of you know, all of your options and things to think about. You know, if you've got a sparse menu, you've got like three things to choose between. I would recommend kind of having a ranked list in your own mind of like what you like to use and what's the most reasonable and the least reasonable uh, and go from there. Cool. All right. Next up, this is pretty important. Um, uh, and especially, you know, a lot of us, we listen to music when we play or we've got like really loud, bombastic MSUs. They're maybe unbalanced or whatever. Sound cues are extremely important when you're doing dark rooms, especially when you're first learning them. Um, so things like, you know, walking through doors, it kind of signifies like the beginning of the room, like when you are first able to start, you know, putting inputs in. Um, switches being stepped on, pots being picked up, uh, doors being unlocked, falling into holes. That definitely would be something you need to know about because it's going to reset your position and get, make you take damage. Uh, getting hit by an enemy, enemies firing projectiles, picking up a key. You've also got your key counter, of course, in the top of your screen. But these are all really important sound cues to listen for. One, an entire sense has been eliminated here. You can't see what you're doing. It's extremely frustrating. But all of the sounds are still exactly the same. So you can use those to your advantage to help make sure that you're in the right place or that you're avoiding certain damage or, um, you know, that you haven't made a mistake and fallen in a pit or something like that. So, um, you know, not to be too obvious about it, but I just did want to say that uh, I think when you're practicing, it could be good to maybe put on headphones or turn up the volume on your TV or, or monitor or whatever and really listen, you know, make listening to the sounds happening a part of your routine. Um, I've actually even heard cases of people uh, timing their inputs to the music, uh, specifically in the mountain pass. Have you guys ever heard this? They, they'll mm. they'll time their button presses to the soundtrack <clears throat> because uh -oh. it's the exact same every time. I've never heard that. Yeah, I want to say – I wish I could remember who was saying that, who I saw saying something about that. But um, that's another thing to keep in mind. It's, it's not ideal because, number one, we all have a lot of soundtracks, MSUs, whatever, that we listen to. Number two – it's rarely ever going to be the soundtrack's going to be at the same place every time. I think that dark mountain pass is maybe one of the only places you could reliably do that. Mm -hmm. um, but just another example of how sound is is going to be really essential um, to to helping you to you know get through get through these dark rooms. 
Any any thoughts about sound cues before we move on to the next one? I think that All about right. covers it. Yeah. Sweet. I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking. Does anybody else want to cut in and tell us about uh, our next one? All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, I'll keep going. I'm just, maybe people are getting tired of the sound of my voice by this point. Yeah. God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, so uh, at this point, and if I'm if I'm in the wrong exact spot, because I know we jumped a little bit up the fire rod. Mm-hmm. So we you can use that to light torches. And there are this is where that advanced logic this isn't the only caveat of advanced logic, okay? But we yeah. all race on advanced logic. That's that's just, you know, the way we do things now. Uh so just knowing knowing that these can certain rooms can be in logic. Uh, as long as you have the fire rod. So um, you can light the torches, and it has to have like a torch in every dark room for this. This is why dark ag is not required, so on and so forth. Um, these are castle escape, and, you know, going to dark cross, and from either way, there's a torch in every one of those dark rooms. So you can go through every single one of them with that fire rod. Now, that doesn't mean... The torches are super easy to get to. So, like, that very first one, if you walk through, like, what is it, the bookcase or behind the throne, like, whatever that symbol thing is, uh, in in Escape, it's not right there at the door. It's actually in the back or near the end of the darkroom anyway. So, keep that in mind. Make sure you check some maps or, you know, practice like we were talking about in the practice hack by turning lit rooms on. And you can see where those, you know, potential torches are a lot of them are in convenient places though um one of those being an eastern palace too or dark room too so um you can only this is only really in logic if you already have the big key and when i say already i mean you have it from a place that is not the eastern dark room one series like going to the vanilla big key chest because that it that does require lamp 100 percent. that's so, so interesting to me I just I love the implications of this logic wise. It's sort of sort of boggling a little bit thinking about when the lamp could or couldn't be within logic in in Eastern Palace now, because um, it it does need to be for that one wing where the you know vanilla key is. But it could if that's if that's like a compass or whatever, then it's not. And then if you have the fire rod, you can complete Eastern. It's I don't know. It's just it's it's uh, I think it's a good example of why I love this game so much, like the really complicated kind of like logical implications like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there's only that one dark room after that big chest, you know, with the two Igors in it. And basically you walk in, shoot the fire rod to the right or the left, you know, whichever you prefer. The key is on the right Igor, so just a little heads up there. I'd shoot it right. Um, and then, you know, the room's lit. You can do what you need to do from there. Uh, another example of this is the Palace of Darkness, Rupee Basement Hallway. So that basement that has the big old rupee, like five rupees laying everywhere with the two chests, that is in logic with a fire rod and no lamp. But that is the only dark room inside of Palace of Darkness that is in logic with mm-hmm. that scenario because your uh, your dark basement, I'm sorry, your dark maze and your like basement heading towards Helmosaur has no torches except for one room. So completely out of logic at that point, um, you know, in normal advanced logic. Yeah, it's a real shame too. Uh, cause it would it would be 
you know, maybe that would be like a mod that that I would be okay with if 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 everyone in the community decided as a community to put a torch in the first room of the basement of Pod and maybe nah. even the second one too. Like <laughs> I would really like that. Nah, I would hate it because I agree in a way, um, mostly with exactly what like developers have in mind, and that is to keep the game structurally as vanilla as possible. Uh, maybe structurally isn't the exact word I should use there, but I think you get what I'm getting yeah. at. Like the more we modify it, you know, it's it's trying to make things work, and rather the way they've built the logic, it works. You know, if you were to play the you know, in a completely unmodified game, and it just so happened the items were randomized, this logic would still work. Right. Yeah, this is, uh, let's put a pin in this conversation, because honestly, we could we could do a whole dang episode talking about the philosophy of, like, what, what to change, what's okay to change, what's not okay. That's I, I, something I would love to, like, really get into. Um, but we'll, we'll save that for another day, I guess. But yeah, when you do have that fire rod, uh, the thing to keep in mind, it... Yeah, you, you do have to menu, you know, bless quick swap for being able to do it faster with no menu. But if you menu to fire rod, nine times out of ten, anytime you can see a room, you're going to be able to execute the room faster than you would if you were doing it completely in the dark. Uh, there are a few instances that may not be true, but most times if you've got the magic to spare, you might as well light it up and that way you can, <laughs> you can see what you're doing and make things uh, a little smoother for you. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I rooms that have a torch, even if I know them, I'll, I'll light the torch just cause it's faster. A lot of, a lot of the time. Um, definitely. Um, so this is, uh, just kind of something to, to keep in mind. Uh, this next one, um, it's going to be extremely obvious once you start practicing them, but dark rooms are dangerous when you Whoa. can't see. <laughs> I know it's a revolutionary <laughs> idea. Getting hit by enemies reduces how many hearts you have oh wow <laughs> if only somebody could <laughs> if only someone could do an episode about how to not take damage <laughs> i know where is that where so where is that episode um yeah okay so when you can't see it's really easy to get hit by enemies uh i'm going to use one room as as an example at the bottom of escape uh the second dark room that's filled with ropes those snake guys um that is not a difficult room if you can see what you're doing. If you have a, uh, you know, if you have a lamp, all of those guys go down very easily, uh, and you can just, you know, be on your merry way. When you can't see though, it's a tight, small room filled with enemies. And if you have, say, like four hearts, and you go in there, and you have green mail, and you're just getting like tossed around by these ropes, it it's not a good situation. So um, rooms that were easy can be a lot harder when they're dark yeah it doesn't even matter if you have red mail because they're ropes oh yeah that's right yeah we, so we re- yeah <laughs> yeah that it's it, I, you'll learn it the hard way if you don't remember that because uh someone on this podcast may have learned that the hard way with having red <laughs> mail and like three heart oops no that's a very good point yeah mail doesn't even matter so yeah all the more reason and a lot of the enemies that are in dark rooms seem to be the ones that do consistent damage we talked about the kadongos as well they always do one heart no matter what you're wearing and they are all over dark maze um so yeah dark rooms are dangerous and for this reason sometimes in some situations this is something to just keep in your back pocket it could be a good idea to eliminate all of the enemies first uh especially if you're not super familiar with the room 
Uh, Dark Maze, I think this is always a valid play. Um, and there are a couple ways you can go about killing enemies, even if you can't see them. So we'll, we'll talk about those now. Uh, the first one, and a lot of people forget this, and I, I love it when I can use it, uh, is the bee in a bottle. So if you let out a bee in a bottle inside of a dark room that has enemies, this bee is going to run around and kill every enemy it can until they're all dead. And then it goes to you and it flies around you. So in addition to killing all the enemies, now you have an indicator of where you are and you can use that like it was a outstretched sword. So it kind of does two jobs in one. If you do have a bee and you go into Dark Maze, highly recommend letting that sucker go. Makes the whole thing much, much easier. Um, I want to so in, interject a timeout here because the bee in the bottle, it's a good idea for, say, Dark Maze. That was a, that was a fine example. Okay. But do not do it in Eastern Palace 2. You will have a bad time. Um, I've seen this happen. I won't say who I watched it happen to, but uh, it prevented me from ever doing it. But What happened? The gold bees do not do enough damage before they leave the screen to kill the, uh, the Igors. So they'll just bounce the Igors around to a place where you can't see them. And then the bee leaves and is just like, LOL, bye, I'm done. <laughs> so then oh. you don't know where the Igor is if you've activated it, and then you usually die. Like that, because you're getting bounced around, as you were saying earlier. So keep that in mind. Make sure those, if you're going to use the bee in the bottle, uh, make sure it's a very low health enemy room, such as maybe back of escape or, um, or you know, as, as Temp was saying, the dark maze. Uh, other than that, I, I really, other than maybe those two, there's not really a good use case for that where it's going to handle all of your enemies for you. Uh, otherwise, it's just going to get them out of position from where they normally are, and then you're not going to know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I had no idea that, that that happened, so I'm glad you said something. Um, use your bee in a bottle sparingly. Know the right rooms to use it in. Um, Drink bees responsibly. <laughs> Drink bees responsibly. <laughs> Uh, bees. Drink bees. That was supposed to be please, but it just sounded like bees again. Let's get out of here. I hate this. All right. The next thing you can use um, are the different medallions. Um, now, there's two that I think are totally valid and one that I would maybe uh, recommend steering clear of. So first one is Bombos. I think that one is great. It's just going to kill all enemies on the screen. It blows them up. Um, the only thing to be careful of here is when you have dark rooms that scroll like Meyer Basement or Dark Maze, um, it will only kill what's actually on the screen at the time. And if you move the screen, you could encounter enemies that did not get hit by Bombos. So just be ready for that. It, it, it's not like it will automatically kill everyone in the room. It's just screen-based. Um, but totally valid in certain situations. The other one is Ether. This one is actually maybe even better because it freezes the enemies and for whatever reason, when you freeze them, they become visible in the dark, just just them. But you can kind of use that as a point of reference. Uh, again, going back to Dark Maze, um, when you have the Kodongos kind of frozen in spot, it, it helps to provide sort of a frame of reference when the screen scrolls. Because otherwise, you know, Link gets to the center of the screen and it starts scrolling and it looks like he's not moving, but the whole screen is moving. He actually is. When you have things on the screen to use as a point of reference, it can help 
uh, undisorient you a little bit, helps orient you. <laughs> <laughs> so I recommend either. It's it's a great tool for dark rooms. Uh, and then the last one, of course, is Quake. That one is not great because it turns all the little enemies into slimes, and they're still invisible when they turn into slimes, and you didn't really accomplish much. I mean, I guess Kodongos can't, like, fire, you know, uh, they can't fire at you anymore, which is good, but I th- you can still hit them, I think. I am actually... Do you know if slimes have a, a hurt box? Yeah, you can still yeah. kill the slimes. Yeah, they'll still... Yeah, okay, good, cool. Yeah, so they still hurt you, um, so I don't know if it's that great to, to use but if it's all you have and you're like terrified of taking the room on then I, I guess use it but um cool okay and then the last tip that we have here that's just general for all dark rooms uh and we alluded to this a little bit earlier when we talked about the hammer delay um long d-pad presses are better than short metered ones so what we mean to say here is anytime you can learn a strat that's like hold this you know hold right for at least three seconds uh, then hold down and right for two seconds until you hear blank, you know, like that is going to be a safer, better situation for learning them. Um, there is a really cool diagram that I will link in the description showing dark maze that shows you a series of, um, diagonal and up and down inputs. So it's either you hold one of the four D pad directions or you hold like down, left, down, right, up, right, up, left. Um, and you just hold them and you can hold each one for like, I don't know, three seconds or so. And it will get you through the entire maze um, just by holding those directions. That's always going to be better than trying to remember like, okay, you hold this for about, you know, a uh, uh, half of a second. And then you don't want to hold it too long because then you'll go into this little alcove and then you'll be trapped in there. So you can't hold it too, you know, that's that's a lot more complicated to, to learn. Um, now, of course, learning it with the long presses, is it's going to take longer than if you just know it and just do it as if the room wasn't dark. But as a learning tool and as a way to get through a race, uh, you know, and check those items that you otherwise couldn't check, I think it's it's a great it's a great tool to have. So I'll link that in the description. And just to say, in general, as you're practicing this, cooking up those, uh, you know, times to hold down the D-pad and, and run into walls and get your bearings before you do make the next move uh, is is a good way to, you know, systematically memorize these and, and learn them all um any thoughts there on on that kind of concept would you guys generally agree or caveats what do you think no i think that's a that's a good tip and i also really enjoy the diagram that you were talking about i it was relatively new to me like i kind of knew about it but i i had never seen it put down like that and Same. uh it's it's pretty good and it's essentially since it's done in a way where you just kind of get stuck in a corner if you keep holding the same uh direction you're never you're never really in danger of overshooting your target or anything so you can just like it starts i think with holding up left and you can just hold up left for five minutes if you want and then if you hold down left you'll still go to the right place mm-hmm. yeah it's it's new to me too I, i'm i wish i had known about it sooner it's pretty pretty cool so i guess my only thought the takeaway from this uh, with the short versus long presses. It's kind of a question more so directed towards temp. Um, would you say that like having heavy fingers is the better strat here or to have dainty fingers? That This is, yeah, you thank use? you for asking. Yeah, thank, first of all, thank you very much for asking. This is a situation where you, you want, you definitely want the heavy fingers. 
Um, the, da- <laughs> the dainty, dainty fingers have their place, of course. Uh, you know, a lot of glitches and bomb jumps are, you know, the daintier the better. This is where you want to get that real heavy fingy out and just lay it right down on that D pad. Okay. Yeah. That, that, Sorry. I mean, Did you, do you have any other questions? Or just that that makes a lot of sense. Okay. I think because yeah, I mean, and, and, and jokes aside, I mean, I agree. Like if it, it's really hard to measure your you know short movement, so you know being able to do things for longer periods or until you hit a stopping point, uh, definitely definitely better to do. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So now is the point we've given you a lot of sort of general uh, tips to think about for all of the dark rooms. Now we want to go through each individual dark room and just again. So like I said before, the goal is not to, okay, now you're going to hold right for this amount of time. That That's up to you to figure out, um, you know, watch some races, open up the practice hack. There's just no other way around it. But here are some tips specific to dark rooms that are worth keeping in mind as you go through each one. Cool. All right. Yeah. So we're going to start with dark cross here. Um, uh, let's let's take turns on these. Um, who would like to go first and and go through Dark Cross? Uh, I'll take it first. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. So Dark Cross, obviously, uh, part of Escape. Everyone should know that part. Uh, it's essentially a lot of the sewers in Escape are dark, but when we're referring to Dark Cross, what we mean is the room right after the rope room that we were talking about earlier. The room that's surprisingly shaped like a cross and it's also in the dark probably where it got its name from mm. and uh, I uh, what we put down here is learning it from the front should be a priority which means you know just going uh, as Dante was alluding to earlier going from the throne room or the bookshelf whatever you want to call it the mantle uh, going through the normal route of escape I want to call it and then getting to that room uh, should be your priority. And then after you know how to do that, depending on the key layout and what you find in the front and stuff like that, you can also do it from the back where you push the grave in the, in the graveyard next to Sanctuary and jump down. And then if you do have a key, you can unlock that door, go through the key rat room, and then eventually end up at the dark cross from the back. Uh, both of these are important directions to take i'd say are parts to learn um you can use the fire rod to help out uh, as we were talking about earlier in advanced logic you have or you might have to use the fire rod to to get the item from there it could be a logic mm-hmm. and then uh, the two hard parts i would say of this is first if you're coming from the front the rope room with all the with all the snakes in it uh, how to get through that easily kind of depends on your equipment loadout, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I I personally like using things like maybe a boomerang or a, the, especially the hook shot because you can kind of attack from a distance and it comes back relatively quickly if it hits anything and it stuns it. So the hitbox and the hurtbox goes away so you can just walk through them. Um, mm-hmm. You could I'd use... I'd like to... Oh, go Sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say one thing I do is (laughs) I just, uh, this will be fast. I just like, as soon as I walk in the door, I just put a bomb down and then I take a quick step down and then just toss the bomb. I'll kill like four or five Mm -hmm. of them if you're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. That's another good way. You could also use, uh, again, your, your rods, if you have them, fire rod or ice rod, obviously magic drain and slower. 
anything that you can attack with you can just if you do have a sword you can just hold your sword out and then uh, if you let go of your charged spin quick enough after poking one you will still do a spin so you might catch a few of them in that uh, there's there's a couple of ways to get through it but it's it can definitely be a very annoying and t- sometimes even a, a very deadly room yeah um yeah, definitely. All very good tips. Another thing I wanted to address briefly, because th- I've definitely lost runs to this. Um, it's been a while, admittedly, but w- I, when I was first learning Dark Rooms, I had a lot of trouble with locating the chest specifically mm-hmm. like where it is in Dark Cross. And since having that problem in a few runs, I've learned a, a couple ways to like identify where that is. So I just wanted to go over those real quick. Um, one thing that you can do... Uh, if you're not quite sure. So, you know, you've got the dark cross. Once you get to the part that has the horizontal area where that chest is, um, head over to the right so that you're in that hallway area. Uh, there's a lot of like uh, ropes and, and keys running around. So just try to kill those as you can. Um, but once you're in that hallway, it go all the way up and then all the way down. And now you've sort of calibrated like the, the, where the middle is. Uh, so go to the middle and then walk left, and you should clink right against the chest there. That's one way to do it. Um, another way is if you have your bow and arrows, um, you can try to get an arrow stuck in the chest. If you know, if you kind of generally know where it is, you can fire off a few and see if you can get it caught there. That's one way to see. Um, do you guys have any other recommended tips for for locating this chest that's kind of floating in the middle of nothingness? It can be kind of kind of difficult to find. One uh, really good tip is if you've got boots, you can bonk off of the bottom torch and then walk up, and I'm 90% sure that locks you right in line with it where you can open it. Nice. Okay. So that's that's like the most, um, I guess, consistent setup that, you know, if you don't don't have any fire sources or whatever, but... um, you know, kind of what you were saying, trying to locate that middle, you know, hook shotting to it, getting something stuck into it, any of those good ideas. Yeah. And just to quickly clarify, so I have a map of dark rooms open right now. It's actually a little bit north of the middle of the hallway. So, um, you know, once you locate the middle, uh, cal- kind of calibrate the middle point of that hallway, just like nudge yourself north a tiny bit, and then you should be in line with it. And then you'll just edge around it, feel your way around it, and then open it. Um, and then, as Dandy said, there's also torches in there. So this is one where I would absolutely recommend lighting the torch, even if you know it, just because it's going to be so much faster and easier for you. Um, and then going around the back is pretty easy as well. It's all just like wide sweeping direction holds, except for locating that one rat and killing him for the key. That can be pretty tough. Um, fortunately, it's not. Uh, it, there's not a lot going on in that room. It's a lot, just you know, rats and keys that don't take a lot of damage or a lot of your health. Um, and there are two torches in that room as well. Um, real quick, do you guys have? We, I think we talked about this in our escape episode a million years ago. But do you guys have any quick tips for finding this rat? In the dark? No. Good luck. Um, <laughs> well, he's always generally in the bottom left corner, more yeah, or but, less, right? Yeah, You're coming until in from he the, isn't. Yeah, if you're coming yeah. in from the top, he will have more time to move because mm-hmm. of that super tile or whatever. So, um, I mean, anything that can do massive damage, yeah, you know, across I mean, the whole screen is the best idea. But mm-hmm. then you don't even see the key, so you kind of have to guess for it. That's why a lot of people don't like doing that room. But mm-hmm. if you uh, 
you know, if you've got a sword, obviously, that is probably, honestly, your best bet. If you can't light the room up in some way, the sword is your best bet, just because if you hold it out to the left, the thing to keep in mind with rats, and this, this will help with this room, is that when they stop moving, the next direction they go in is completely RNG. So it, it's randomized. And then when they hit a wall, they will always move in a, uh, if I remember, a clockwise pattern. So basically, like, if they hit down, like, if they hit the downward wall, the next thing they're going to do is go left. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you hold out your sword to the left, since you're coming from the right, there's a pretty good possibility you're going to just kind of poke at least one of them and, you know, damage them. Yeah. Yeah, it's good advice. Um, Cool. Okay, so I think that that should get people on their way to uh, work on uh, escape dark rooms there. Next up, um, we have Eastern Palace 1. So I'll just knock this one out real quick and say I think this is a great first dark room to learn. Uh, If you are sitting down to learn dark rooms, you might want to queue this one up first. Um, one of the things that makes it really easy is that it, there's two rooms in succession. You go in the first one, then the second one, then you go back to the first one again, cross through, and you get out of there. Uh, both of them have essentially locked cameras. They move a tiny bit. Uh, the second one moves a tiny bit. But things are always in the same place in the room. There's no room scroll, which makes it a lot easier to kind of calibrate what's going on. Um, you just need to walk over, grab one key. Sound cues are also really important in this one, so you can figure out when you actually uh, pick up the pot and when you get the key. Um, and then you're just going around this like uh, ro- like uh, hallway in this first room, so it's really easy to you know make your way around. Um, kind of hard to get lost, in fact, in that one. There are a couple enemies, but they're weak and easy to kill. Um, so yeah, I, I just just to say I'd recommend learning that one first, and um, it's it's uh, very useful to learn because it can get you one extra item in Eastern Palace. So that's Eastern Palace one. We've already talked a little bit about Eastern Palace two, but Dante, any uh, any tips you want to talk about for that one? Um, yeah. So the easiest way to do this, uh, you're going to be doing this 99 out of 100 times if you have a bow. So. Um, you know, that way you can get to the boss. But that in mind, uh, you do have that, so let's make use of it. Uh, the idea is, we talked about, if you hold out the B button, sword or not, uh, you will move in strafing patterns. So you want to hold out your sword or your, your fist uh, upwards <laughs> to the north. And the idea here is to, while doing that, strafe to the right. Um, this isn't the crisscross song, but... You know, you can... Uh, Straight to the right. <laughs> you can... <laughs> Crisscross. <laughs> you can shoot an arrow. Obviously, it's going to hit the little rope or the jelly dudes. Um, you know, the, the tentacle dudes. But they're <laughs> once you get through one of those, you should be able to fire another one. And what, what I like to do is kind of feel out and find where that Igor is on the right. Because if you hit him with his eye closed, you want to stay up against that wall at the bottom so you don't activate him. And then uh, once you see that, all right, I shot that arrow up and I hit him, then I can move up a little bit and, you know, not, not dainty fingers a little bit, but like, you know, a little, a little ways and then go backwards to give you some room. Uh, And then you'll see that arrow start moving at you and you can fire again, you know, kill him, go get your key and then head up to that top left. The thing to keep in mind about the top left, this is where it's a little tricky and you see a lot of people die at this point. Uh, with low health situations, 
the the pot will not let you pick it up if you are all the way to the north and then facing left. It's really weird about that. So like that's where Dainty Fingers comes in, uh, you know, from Temp, and you have to like go down just a little bit uh, to get that pot. Once you feel it out a couple times, it, it clicks. Is mm-hmm. is kind of my takeaway. And then obviously remember any door. Uh, if you're holding out a sword, you know, that's a key door, you will not be able to go in it or unlock it unless you are facing it. So at that point, if you're holding out a sword, you're going to want to make sure you do it to the north. So like if Link's facing left and you're, you know, strafing, uh, you know, or not really strafing, but walking back and forth with the sword, if you're pressing up, it's not going to unlock that door unless Link's sprite is facing up. So keep that in mind. Dante? Yeah. I'm really glad you're on this show, man. That's, oh, did that, that did that blow your mind? That says that's just <laughs> such good. That's like why this show exists is like help people learn that stuff. I don't, I don't, I didn't specifically know those things. I think I just kind of learned them through osmosis after it not working a few times. But like, yeah, I've definitely lost runs trying to pick up that pot and been like, oh my god, why can't I get in the door? Like, yes, that's very yeah, very always. Oh, you want to be facing it like direct that anything like a south door like if you're doing escape we talked about dark cross but if you're doing that backwards and you're trying to get into dark cross from the water room a lot of times you'll see people going left and right left and right left and right because you're holding your sword out from that point it's got to be facing down yeah very very good points the last thing i wanted to say that could definitely help uh turn the tides for you here if you're coming in with low health once you go up the steps before you come into the dark room, you'll notice there's a couple of uh, open cliffs and some of those like giant pots, like like the Heropot type pot. You want to jump in that and it'll take you to a little mini room with two fairies flying around. So you get a little health refill and maybe even a fairy in a bottle if you're set up for it. Uh, and then you take a warp and it takes you right out to the back of or to the to the you know outdoors of that um, dark room. So super useful if you're nervous about your health um, before going in because there are a lot of enemies that'll hit you in there. Um, cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's that's Eastern two. Herf, we're back to you. Do you have any tips for us for Mountain Pass? Yeah. So the Mountain Pass, uh, another great first dark room to learn. I'd say the Mountain Pass. In case people don't know, the little dark cave that connects you from West of Sanctuary up to Death Mountain. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say, unlike what we've written here in the outline, I it might be a personal bias thing, but I personally feel like I do this room a lot more from the back to the front than I do it from the front to the back. Sure, that's fair. Uh, just because, you know, usually you get to there in the dark when you find the flute before you get actual Death Mountain access, so you flute up to one, and which puts you exactly in front of the the back so to speak of the old man cave or the mountain pass and uh, then you just go in and walk back until you pick up the old man and then walk back out uh it's not a super hard one i find personally the only like danger in there to you are a couple of pits really only one pit uh, once you know where you're going or what you what you have to look out for there's really only a single pit that gets in your way and uh, a few keys but uh, they barely do any damage, and for the most part, you can avoid them. So uh, it's, a, it's a good one to learn. Um, let me see about tips. I personally very much like holding out my sword in here, just because that's you know the most convenient way to get through. Other than that, uh, hmm, 
I don't really have any specific tips, to be honest. Uh, the only thing that's also true for when you have a light is you can't dash with the old man. Yep. Dashing in a dark room is something I probably wouldn't recommend anyways. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's about it. Cool. Yeah, this it really is very simple, which is why there's not a whole lot to say about it. Uh, but as we talked about in our you know top 10 tricks, it's it's very crucial to learn so if you're like a brand new player and you've been sort of putting this one off i can't suggest strongly enough that you know you go kind of take literally like the five minutes it'll take and just knock this one out and it's like learning it's like learning how to ride a bike you'll you'll know it forever mm-hmm. cool all right so that's all the light world ones let's dump into the dark world dark rooms uh which are a little bit more difficult sort of in general um all right, and that starts with Pod Dark Maze, and I think it's my turn. We've talked about this one a lot already, as, as like as an example for for a lot of the other um, yeah. you know, concepts we've discussed. Uh, we and we've got that that thing in the description that I mentioned that is I really strongly recommend that um, you know taking a, a look at that because it's really going to trivialize things. Um, don't underestimate the Kodongos and their fire. They do take one heart of damage no matter what mail you've got on. And you can really get, like, trapped and, and caught uh, in these. Like, it's – people don't usually get hit once. You either don't get hit at all or you get hit, like, two or three times. <laughs> people just, like, keep walking yeah. into the fires. And, like, the fire will end up in a place where you really can't avoid it. You have to go there. So just, you know, be careful. Respect them. It's always going to be faster to go slow through this and do it successfully than it will be to rush it and die and have to come back to it. Um, another thing uh, I don't have a lot of tips for you on because I've never done it is coming in from the back, the hammer yump way. I know this is very uh, crucial to learn in like uh, like key sanity situations and cross keys and things like that. Um, y'all know me. I don't, I don't really mess with those <laughs> modes too often. Um, but if that is something you're going to get into, I would definitely recommend also learning coming in from the cracked wall and then making your way out backwards because that's a thing you might have to do. So, uh, cool. Uh, and I'll just go ahead and say with that pod rupee hallway, it's very, very simple. Um, I'll just grab this one too. Uh, the anti fairy is visible, which is kind of helpful. You know, you can try to avoid it a bit. Um, and, uh, you're just going to run all the way down. And then the chest, this is something I see people miss sometimes. They are on the far walls. So the far left and the far right at the bottom. Um, if you just go all the way down and then hold the direction all the way left or all the way right and then up, you should get whatever's in the chest. And thanks to the newest hotfix, V31.0.5, or the second newest one, I should say, uh, you will be able to see what's in there, which is nice. We don't have to talk about that anymore. Um, yeah, thank God. Uh, cool. If you guys have any thoughts about that, feel free to throw them in. But if not, then Dante, you can just jump into telling us a little bit about Pod Basement. This one's a doozy. Yeah. Um, so once you've moved uh, the wall and you are walking down the stairs, uh, this is where you have to put your big boy or big girl pants on. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's it's it can be tough. So keep in mind, all you've got to do, um is, you know, get out of the little peg cage. Uh, so, you know, just left with a hammer. Uh, you can kind of move up. A strafing will work here as far as shooting stuff to hit that switch. Keep in mind that turtle is looming somewhere. Uh, it's, it's a good idea to make sure you have practiced this with, you know, all the lights turned on uh, to kind of get a feel for it. But you want to obviously, you know, flip your switch like we, we talked about 
and go through that next door. Um, this is kind of hard to do sometimes. You can sort of put your sword out and kind of get a feel of where that turtle is, but you got to be within a certain range to hit that hammer down uh, to flip him over. And it's a little L-shaped room. You can't get lost in there, but you can take damage. So we're getting through that, um, and then we get to the room that is like full stop for most people. And uh, Turtle murder. Yeah, so there's what, six turtles in here? Mm -hmm. And um, two torches. So if you have fire rod, if you move slightly to the left, like no, no, no strafing, I just move slightly to the left and tap down, hit Y. It's something you have to get a feel for. There's no like... I don't know of a direct setup for this. I'm sure um, it exists, but yeah, I yeah. certainly don't either. You know, and and then if you're slow, then sometimes the turtles will get in your way, and then they eat your fire rod shot because they're invulnerable until you flip them. So that can be kind of problematic. Uh, I honestly, depending on your situation, it's very situational. I don't recommend doing this unless you have fire rod, but. At the same time, you know, if you've already cleared EP or you don't have to, it may be beneficial to do this in the dark if you're comfortable with it in a race. That That's that's a topic for another day. Regardless, uh, you still have to kill all six of them. Um, let's say you don't have a fire rod. One thing you can do that's kind of slow, Once you, if you walk straight down in the middle and hammer, it should flip four. It should. Um, yeah. If you did it quick enough. And then you can use Bombos or you know, uh, ether something like that to wipe him out. Um, the idea is you'll see them like kind of die with that. And then you can see count quickly how many of them you saw. And then you know how many are left. Uh, your sword will be kind of a, a buffer for you as far as like not taking damage from them in phase one. You'll hear a tink like a wall and then you can hammer really quickly if you've got fast enough reaction time. Other than that, it's kind of feeling out the room, and with the turtles moving all the time, it's definitely not the easiest thing to do. Um, but it, again, practice makes perfect on this. Uh, and once you get through that, it's pretty straightforward. Um, hopefully you've got at least enough help to maybe tank one more hit once you get through. So there's that little diamond thing, and obviously we push that top right block, get in that portal. Uh, your sword beam, or rather your sword like sparkle, is kind of your your best friend here. Uh, that last room, talking about tanking that hit, is the little straight, narrow way, which is technically, it has torches, but you can't access them because uh, it's that, you know, the pod rupee basement. And then you're just going to walk straight up the middle. Um, there's two sets of two turtles, and you, once you get through those, you're kind of home free, and then hopefully you got enough health to take on Helmosaur. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, at that last hallway, I think it's just all about timing kind of getting used to you know if you've done it several times in the light you kind of know about how far down you have to walk until you encounter those first hurdles and then the second ones are pretty much right behind them um, so that that's not too bad i do want to go back to this turtle murder room real quick um and say i you know i wish we could do more to help you it's just tough it's a tough one especially if you don't have fire rod um but i i do want to say it's not impossible I've, I've done it before, and I'm no super player. I think one thing that helps is if you have a lot of health, go ahead and go in and give it a try, I say. Because one thing that can help you is, like, you can kind of be um, – I, I wish I could think – there's, like, a movie or a TV show where this happens. I can't think what it is. But, like, imagine you're just standing there in the dark. These guys are coming after you. One of them bumps into the back of you and hits you. 
you immediately turn around and swing the hammer and then run after it and swing the sword. You know, so like you're waiting for it to hit you and it's like, now I know where you are and then you go kill it. So it it takes health, obviously, because you have to let them run into you. But that's a really good way to like just let them come to you and then kill them. And that way you're not like groping around in the dark like crazy uh, for three or four minutes, slowly getting your health whittled away. Um, So that's that's another strategy to try. Um, But, yeah, it's tough, man. You just got to. You just got to get in there and, and hope for the best, I think. I, I'm sure, like I said, I'm sure there is a setup that works every single time, but I don't I don't think it's general knowledge. I don't, I think probably only top players like have that knowledge. And if you want to try to watch them and get it, I don't, that's worth trying too, I'd say. But yeah, it's one of the harder ones for sure. Uh, were you ready to move on? Yeah. Yep. Okay. All right. Next up. And I think this is Herf's. Uh, let's yeah. talk a little bit about Meyer Basement. This is another tough one. <clears throat> All right, yeah, Meyer Basement, another tough dark room. So uh, once you go down the stairs, the first room you'll be confronted with is the one that's kind of shaped like a... What's the geometric shape called? It kind of looks like a house, if I'm being honest. Um, it's like a D, but yeah, a, like but a trapezoid with more sides. With more sides? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, whatever the shape may be, uh, the goal of that room is for you to pick up a skull and push down a switch with a Cane of Samaria block. And obviously, the only thing that you can see in that room is the fireballs that the two fireball shooters shoot at you and the Samaria block once you put it down. That's all you get to see in that room if you go in there in the dark. Um, Thankfully, there was a pretty sweet strat posted by Shireen, I believe, on our Discord, which is... uh, Tell me if I'm wrong here or if I'm not remembering this correctly, but you go down the stairs... You hold your sword out to the right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you walk to the left, and then the diagonal wall will like push you or guide you downwards. And then as soon as you hit the left wall that goes straight down, you go to the right, and you'll be exactly where the skull is that you have to pick up, and you just pick it up and place down your Samaria block, and you're good to go. Yep. Yeah, we All uploaded right. that. Yeah, that was Shireen that shared that with us, and we put it on our YouTube, so I'll, I'll throw a link to that uh, youtube video in our description as a reminder yeah, it's totally so, awesome yeah it's really nice and really quick and also extremely consistent and usually you're not too bothered by the by the fire shooters which are really the main problem in the room i'd say because once you mess up the placement for the samaria block or something and those guys keep shooting you and pushing you around and you don't know where you are it, it can get really messy mm-hmm but uh, moving on to room number two. Room number two is pretty easy. You just want to walk left and down and then go out the left exit. The only thing you have to watch out for is that old Stalfos that's walking around there. So be wary that there's a little skeleton dude in your way, uh, but nothing too bad. And then uh, the room three uh, is the room where you have to go past the spike and up to potentially, depending on if you have a spooky armed or not, uh, Uh, You have to go up and hit a crystal switch to move on. And that room, well, I personally, I have to admit, whenever I do force myself to go through that room, I just kind of feel my way through it via muscle memory, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Like I know, you know, I press up left and then I know I have to kind of dodge the spike, which usually doesn't work out. So I get hit. And then I I'm hate like, that right. spike. That's the yeah, worst that part of this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I don't I don't know what to tell you for that. Even even in the light, it's hard not to get hit by that. Mm-hmm. So 
if you have low health, it's going to be really tough. If I have high health, I just tank it, tank it through there. Just yeah, generally, that's yeah. what happens with me. Sorry, con- continue. We're almost we're almost through this one. Yeah, so uh, you you get through the spike as you normally would, and hope for the best, pretty much. <laughs> and then you yeah. walk upwards, and thankfully, as we mentioned earlier, you get to see crystal switches in the dark. So you just kind of you know mosey your way over to below the crystal switch and shoot up your Samaria block shot and switch it around. And then uh, the next room uh, is. Well, it's not very hard. You just kind of need to orient yourself correctly. You kind of need to watch out for one stealthos, and then you need to bomb open the top wall or uh, do your spooky action. <clears throat> Excuse me, spooky action stuff if you know how to do that. Mm-hmm. But uh, after you bombed open the top wall, I think that's probably the hardest part in that room, getting the bomb to be in the at least somewhat right position. Uh, kind of, you know, if you have something to guide you or hold your sword out, that's not really a big deal. But uh, generally, just walking up there and putting the bomb down will blow open the passage. Yeah. And, Fortunately, uh, you know, the bomb has a pretty wide explosion mm-hmm. radius or whatever, so you can be somewhat off and still open it up. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, in the next room, you got to hit the crystal switch again, which isn't really a problem. You're not in any danger or anything in there. Uh, you walk back out, and when you walk back out, the two Anta fairies are free. So those can get a little bit annoying. Uh, I generally assume that at least one of them will bump into me. <laughs> because uh, despite, I think, being able to see the anti fairies you still can't see your own sprite. So you don't really know exactly what's happening. Right. But, you know, you usually will get bumped. Yeah. Yeah, it's really that, that third room is the one that's, I think, the most dangerous. It's got the, the spike and... Um, you know, of course, the pit. I would have probably said the first room before, except for Shireen's strat, which really was a game changer in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that third room, you can take some damage for sure. You can get lost in there. Um, cool. Dante, any thoughts on that one? I mean, we pretty much covered it. I'll, okay. I'll say that if you uh, if you do pull off Dark Spooky, then, you know, props. It, it's tough. <laughs> I mean, it, it, because, you know, a lot, it kind of just depends on your lineups, but man, like not seeing the spike or, you know, knowing where you are in correlation to the anti-fairies, uh, most times I will say that unless you're just, you know, God tier at it and you've got a specific setup, it, it is best to just go ahead and do things, uh, the normal way. In, in, mm-hmm. If you're doing it in the dark, but yeah. you know, if, if you've got a way, then please share in the discord and show us. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to see that. All right, and then the last one that we're going to get really in-depth here, not the last dark room, but the last one we're going to cover really in-depth here is the Turtle Rock platform room. Um, So, Dante, you're up. All right, so um, uh, I about said minimize it, but memorize (laughs) it. Uh, You can minimize it, too, like just delete this room. Um, But, uh, you know, it's not too, too bad if you're, since it's like, it's a room on rails. Yeah. So, um, you know, it, it, it's it's something that it's always going to be the same. Uh, the platform is going to stay visible where, uh, you know, no matter if it's light or dark. Uh, sometimes it's a little tough getting the block where you need it to be. You may go, you know, not far enough or you may, you know, walk off the ledge. But you can see those fire bars as well once you start moving, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are really good cues. Uh, and... Um, you know, it, it's it's something that's like consistent that you can see uh, as like a point of reference. 
So if you do get lost, you, you really do kind of have to just feel your way around. Uh, you know, if you stop somewhere, you can fall off, take, you know, start over the room, you know, by falling down. Um, you, this is where, you know, we talked about sound cues being nice. Uh, once you get to that middle platform, you're going to have to make sure that you have a sound cue, uh, with picking up the block or the, the pot rather, and then stepping on the switch. So that, that's one way of doing it. Um, it, it's, we won't break down the entirety of it, but it's pretty simple to do. Like you basically just have to keep holding certain directions. Um, it sounds really vague. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to glance <laughs> over this really yeah, briefly. You know, so so let's, let's, I feel bad. Uh, Dante. So I, I initially set up top. I was like, uh, so we're not going to tell you exactly how to do any of these. That would be silly. And Dante had already done that for this one. So he just like crossed it all out and I feel really bad. <laughs> Dante, just go ahead and read it, man. It won't take that long. Just read it. Okay. So it, it's super, it's super easy, but uh, when you start at the top, uh, you want to hold down and right together, like as soon as you start moving. And you can follow that until you kind of see yourself going to the right, where you're, like that platform is. You can use that top left fire bar as a reference. And you want to let go of down, keep holding right. And that'll allow you to walk directly off to the pot. You'll be able to pick it up, feel around for the switch, and then get ready for phase two. So phase two, get on the platform. And as soon as you start moving, you're going to want to hold right. Uh, if you hold the right button... You're basically going to take two right turns, and then you're going to be going like head on into that top right fire bar. Uh, and when you start approaching that, you want to hold down. Just keep holding down. Uh, you'll take that downward turn, and from there you can literally hold left to get to the end, like the rest of the room. Like nothing will change. Like you can, as soon as you make the downward turn, you can start holding left right there. Um, that will once you you'll see it all kind of taking place when you get to the bottom right fire bar. You'll start going left, and then that initial fire bar starts to come back into view for you as a reference and you'll notice you're starting to move down and as soon as you start moving down hold down you'll walk off the platform you know and through the door and suddenly you can see again you would think some of that light in the next room would kind of <laughs> move into that room you know like through the the holes in the door or right. whatever but doesn't seem to be the case anyway that, that's the quick way of doing it but yeah the room's pretty simple it's on rails um Go yeah. go give that. That's out of dungeons. That's probably the first one I would say. Give a shot. That's like in the dark world. Sure. Yeah. Definitely. It doesn't come up that much since it's usually a later crystal, and you know the lamp just kind of shows up. But um, it's definitely. Uh, I think a lot of people forget. They like come in and they're like, "Ooh, uh oh, <laughs> this is dark." I didn't, wasn't thinking about that. Um, but it has the most visible with all with the platform that you're on. Like, there's a guaranteed way to see yourself, which is great. Um, and the, all those fire bars, there's like three of them, I believe, uh, they, they really help calibrate you and show you where you are. So it's not too bad. You might take some damage if you get lost and get hit on these fire bars. One thing I do want to stress that Dante did say, but, uh, make sure that you're not holding left at the very end. Cause you can hold left for a really long time and it just works. But if you hold left and you get to your destination, you're going to walk right off that platform and into yep. the pit. And then you have to go back to the beginning and do it all over again. So, yeah, just really be careful of that, especially. But Cool. Good walkthrough. Uh, the last one, you probably noticed there's one that we kind of skipped over before, and that is Dark Aga. So the castle tower, uh, if you decide to kill Aganim, has many dark rooms throughout it, and they are absolutely savage. There's a dark maze that's 
confusing to me even in the light to be honest i always go the wrong way in the stupid maze uh, there's rooms with really strong enemies that are completely dark there's rooms with unprotected cliffs that you can just totally fall off of i'm sure we're all very familiar with you know the aga setup uh doing this without lantern is very difficult uh you know i'm thinking I don't know how to do it. I'll just full disclosure. I, I did research on all this other stuff. I did not put the time into learning Dark Agus so I could explain to you guys how to do it. I almost think this is maybe like another bonus episode one day, like how we had P-Train on to talk about hovering. I think mm-hmm. we could have like an expert on to try to crack yeah. Dark Aga for us one day. It's really not that bad. Like. Uh, with fi- well, okay, yeah. Uh, sorry, I, you you were making a case that there is yeah, something that so can make it a little with easier. fire rod. It's not bad. So, I mean, the rooms that are not the maze and the pit room are consistent, right? I mean, there are enemies that come at you. I I hope you'd be able to tank at least a hit of damage, you know, or two. Yeah. So, like, once you get through the rooms and you know you're in the dark maze, what you could do is hold your sword out to the left if you've got fire rod. You can move, I believe it's up ever so slightly, and fire it to the left, and you're going to hit a torch. And then all of a sudden, the room's lit. So um, you can also light more torches along the way if, you know, your scared one's going to go out on you. Um, You know, it also gets lighter for that little brief stint of time. Um, The same thing applies. It it actually may be down for the Dark Maze. I don't have the map up in front of me because I'm kind of just speaking off the cuff. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, and I'll verify that while I move on to the next part, the, the next thing you want to consider is the, um, what do you call it? The, the pit room. And if you come through that room, there's, there's a barrier to the north. So again, hold your sword out left, move upwards. And when you stop moving, you're going to come down maybe two tiles. And again, you'd have to feel that out, but shoot a fire rod shot to the left and then torches lit. You're going to be able to finish that room. Um, the room after that is the last dark room that has a guard with a key that you got to kill in the south. Just remember that. Again, same thing applies with that door. Make sure you're facing north if you're in the dark so it unlocks. And yes, I was wrong about Dark Maze. It is not to the north. It is to the south. Mm-hmm. So it's it's like two tiles down uh, or maybe one full tile down from the door when you come in and just fire it to the left. It lights up. There's some There's some... Alternate strategies, you can obviously memorize that maze that is a little tougher than Dark Maze and Pod. Uh, The other strat for I've seen people use, and I did test this before we started recording, uh, if you have Kana Samaria, you can use that in the pit room to kind of push, and when you see it disappear, you know there's about to be a pit there. So I won't break that down because that could get really long-winded, but you can use that to kind of set yourself up so you've got some consistent points to walk to kind of like a up push left and then up to another consistent point. You do have enemies, so be careful of those. Um, and then, you know, like I said, I'm not going to break the whole thing down. Yeah. Anyway, no, that, that's really can, interesting. That, uh, Kane Samaria strat. I, I never would have thought of that, but it, when I imagine doing that, it, yeah, it makes it a lot easier. It's slow, but again, for the biweekly seed, who, those who are interested in playing it, I know I said dark rooms are in logic, but I did ensure that dark Aga is not required. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, no, those are good hints. I think that's enough to maybe, if somebody's curious and they want to get on their way, you've got some things to consider. Uh, but like I said, maybe one day we'll we'll bring in an expert and we'll like just really break this thing down. I mean, um, 
at a certain point, we're going to be hurting for episode topics. So this is one to put in the old <laughs> bank, you know? Oh, um, yeah. Perfect. Cool. Okay. Um, awesome. All right. Well, I think that was that was definitely uh, a thorough. I think we gave our, our listeners a lot to consider as they work on dark rooms. Do you guys have any sort of final thoughts on dark rooms to wrap this all up in a nice little bow? Mm, learn them they're good to know but don't drive yourself insane over knowing all of them start with a couple of them some that you know definitely come up more often than others like i'd say the ep dark rooms and the uh, mountain pass dark cave those are ones to start with just because you know light world dungeon and Death Mountain Axes is probably something that'll come up earlier in the seed than Meyer Axes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Awesome. All right. Let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap this thing up. Okay. So we have two fetch questions this time from two uh, mentor tournament participants. Our first one is from Jossum Sauce. If you'll remember, he was the one that made that kind of, you know, what is ALTTPR? What is the mentor tournament video explainer? Um, so Jossum Sauce wrote in and had this to say, Hey guys, with the GMP MT 2020 hitting brackets and wrapping up soon, I wanted to know what you all recommend that we do next. The racers have been doing so much learning and practicing, and now the ALTTPR is wide open for us. What should we do to keep that learning going? How can players who weren't in the tournament be part of this learning momentum too? Just looking for thoughts on how to keep this improvement party going. Thanks for the amazing tournament, and I look forward to throwing my hat in the ring to be a mentor next year. And that was Jossum Sauce. I think that's an excellent question. Um, and something that a lot of people are going to be wondering, and some people already are, if they are, you know, out of the tournament now. So what would you guys recommend that our mentees take on next after this tournament is over for them? So personally, I think the answer to this is very simple. And the simplest way I can put it is just keep playing. Uh, More specifically, uh, play in a competitive environment. Play, you know, not necessarily you know, play races somewhere or not in a competitive way or in a tournament, but, you know, play against someone. Don't play seeds by yourself. It's always good to have uh, a way to compare what you did to someone, even if they did worse than you or lost against you. You can still see if they maybe did something differently that you could, you know, take away for your own play that, you know, maybe they got through the room faster or, they wrote it someplace in that you didn't even think of something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. There's plenty of places where races keep happening. The ladder is popping. Uh, people on the podcast discord seemingly always looking for a race at all times of the days and the nights. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yeah, that's my recommendation. Just keep playing. That's the best way to get better. Absolutely. Dante. Practice. Lots of practice. Um, this is where you either like kind of hit the, the the rails to getting better, or you you fall off, and or you get stagnant. I guess as a way of better a better way of saying it than fall off. But uh, it really depends on one how much time you have to invest, and then uh, kind of one a how much time do you want to invest. Mm-hmm. The other thing, in my opinion, is uh, you know very good thing to do uh, especially if you're not super familiar with vanilla is um, at least give 
no major glitches, the speed run, like a little bit of a learning, uh, or at least watch a tutorial video on it. And that can be a little time consuming, but you'll notice things and things will be explained as far as movement that maybe mentors didn't get as in depth with you on. Uh, and that kind of will help. Uh, I, I say all this to say execution is going to be king. Yeah, you'll notice sometimes that runners will take vastly different routes and um, you know, there'll be like a 30 second difference between the two maybe and then someone got like 10 to 15 more item checks and that's that that right there is a huge, uh, 9 times out of 10, an execution gap um, as to why they were able to route in more checks, at least in my mind. Sure. So that's, that's one thing to work on. Um, you know, the practice hack's a great tool. Make sure you have it. If you don't, um, the competitive thing like Herf was talking about, whether it be ladder pickup races or, you know, like async seeds, like we do here with the biweekly seed, those are all great uh, competitive things. My one piece of advice for people, like if, if, com if playing competitively, like if you take a couple of losses or you're not doing as well as, uh, as you think you should be, um, that is when I like to personally, you know, take a step back, stop playing against people and kind of play against myself because clearly there's something I can learn for, uh, about myself. And that kind of goes back to like the execution thing that goes back to the decision making that you, you do. Uh, that's where like playing a seed sometimes by yourself is uh, useful. But instead of always wanting to go for a super fast time, sometimes if you do something, if you notice you did something really poorly playing by yourself, then you can always like redo the room, you know, or something. The idea is, can you, you can do something in the practice hack all you want, but can you do it after you've been kind of racking your brain? Um, and this kind of goes down like another rabbit hole that I won't jump in, but if you can practice doing something or a movement, uh, a trick that we've talked about, anything that you've learned in this, uh, if you can practice it so it becomes second nature, then you should be able to, in theory, start pulling it off in races. And the faster you can do it, obviously, the better. So, uh, you know, I always practice things until it's, like, stuck in my head mm -hmm. kind of kind of deal. But that, that, that's my piece of advice, I guess, for this. Yeah, um, definitely uh, good advice, good points all around. I will just briefly add a couple things. Number one, I think everyone should strongly consider trying to get involved in the fall tournament. Um, that is sort of like the big one. Um, it can be definitely sort of intimidating and it's, I wouldn't, you know, if you're in the mentor tournament, even if you're, you know, at the very top, I still would say, set your expectations. Don't expect to like, you know, uh, make, you know, make it the first year into brackets, uh, because no. it is very, very competitive, but I think it's important to get in there and see how you stack up and just kind of, you know, be able to compare yourself to people who have been in the community for a long time, kind of see how they routed how versus how you did. Um, and uh, it's, it's good to get used to getting beat. No, <laughs> no, I'm not going to say that. I'm no, not going to, no. I honestly believe that it is because it's going to happen. It's a, it's a fact of life. You, you don't yeah. want to get beat, but like, if if what you're worried about is getting beat, you've got to get over that and you've got to get oh, beat yeah. a few times. Now, I yeah. agree with that. Now, but you got to go in with the positive mental attitude. Sure, absolutely. That you can win and that you can't, like, if you are entering a tournament to not win, 
then I think you're entering a competitive environment for the wrong reason. Now, the mentor tournament's all about learning. That's a little different. But if you're entering the ball tournament, you need to convince yourself, not so much, it's like bordering on that thin line of confident and cocky. You don't want to get into cocky. You want to be confident in your ability. Trust your trust what you've practiced. Like, stay, you know, very, I can do this. And then that mental, like, if you start getting down on yourself, you know, like getting used to getting beat, that being able to accept defeat gracefully is a, 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 a like a, a talent that is stuff a lot of people can work on, including yeah. myself. Sure. But don't go in expecting to get beat. Go in expecting that you're going to do your best and shock the world. But don't be disappointed if it doesn't exactly happen the way you want to. It's like you want to keep failing forward is a way of thinking. You want to, you know, when you fail at what you had set out in your goal, you want to be closer than you were last time. So if you keep, you know, that forward drive going, it'll keep you, to me, that's, for me, that's what literally drives me to keep going is that I know I can do this, but sometimes, you know, I'm a little nervous about it, but I keep telling myself, I know I can do it. Even if I know I'm probably going to get beat, it's one of those things of if you don't believe in yourself, nobody else is. So you got to first, first and foremost in a competitive environment, believe in yourself. Yeah. Damn it. I agree with you. You're right. You def- you definitely have to go in. <laughs> you have to go in positive. And I, I mean, think, yeah, that was my thing is I just wanted to, I think a lot of people like get beat three or four times and they're like, I suck. I'm not good at this game. I don't want to play anymore. You know? And like, yeah, that's what you don't want. You don't like, want that's, that. Yeah. That's where I said that accepting defeat. Like, absolutely. You know, some people when they get beat, you know, they could have had 50,000 races under their belt. Not that many, obviously, but you know, it's like. They still get mad when somebody guessed something right. We're playing randomizer after all, mm-hmm. you know? But, you know, learn learn to say, all right, I made the wrong choice. But, you know, be confident in your ability. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, that's... Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Go in positive, but don't be too put off if things don't go the way that you wanted them to go. Um, that's good advice, not just for mentees, but really anyone in the community, you know, and I, I think that's people who have figured that out are the ones that are really wringing all of the joy out of randomizer that they possibly can and just are, are still in, just as into this game as they were when they discovered it. So that's what I would recommend for, for new folks. Um, and uh, the other thing is, you know, we've been focusing a lot on racing and competition and all that. I would say... And Dante, I know you would agree with me on this because we talk about it a lot, but do whatever you need to do to try to avoid burnout as well. Like if if racing a lot and losing a lot, it, you, if you already know it's going to give you that reaction, maybe don't race quite as much. Maybe take more time to do a casual seed. Try some new modes you haven't tried. Um, do a casual race. Do a drink to the past to Triforce hunt with some friends. <laughs> you know, just find a way to enjoy the game on your own terms. If that means competitive, then, you know, tournaments, practice, all these things we talked about. If that means just kind of playing it, you know, once a month with some friends and having some drinks, then like you're still a part of the community if you do that. That's totally cool. So, oh yeah, yeah, cool. All right, well, great question, Jossum Sauce, and uh, good luck to you and your randomizer future. I hope you can find that good fit for yourself. 
That was um, a pretty jawsome question. <laughs> it was oh, no. Totally jawsome sauce. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, and then our second question is from a friend of the show, Moga Jones 10, who's written it a few times. Another member of the mentor tournament says, good morning. Whoever is doing Tuesday editing, no exclusive could be anyone. As we learned, there was a, uh, this is, this is Tim again. There was a, a special Tuesday Dante we heard from last time. Um, so I think that's what he's talking about there. Uh, Boca Jones goes on to say, I have enjoyed the mentor tourney. I've met so many wonderful people and learned so much, hoping to get a 90 soon. I have two questions. First, Timp, when did you enter pod in our ladder race? I tried to put it <laughs> off until now, but that was probably my downfall. Wink. More serious question. Can you explain spheres? I have a loose understanding of it, uh, but I think a more concrete knowledge of how it works with logic would help many new runners. Can't wait to call more bracket races. See y'all in the Discord. And that was Mocha Jones 10. So first off, yeah, we were matched up in ladder a couple nights ago, um, which was a delight. After I was done, I, was, I went and checked him out, and he valiantly finished off the seed. Um, and yeah, it was sort of a tough one. That pod play ended up being what you needed to do. Um, Bo was in there. Uh, and uh, I put it off for a while, too, but I went back to it a little sooner than he did. Um, but that's just, you know, rando being rando. Um, Mocha's improved drastically like many of our, our mentees have. So um, I was pleased to be kind of matched up with them. That was fun. Uh, and then the, the question about spheres. So I kind of uh, I kind of gave Dante a little bit of a hard time when we first started uh, talking today because he was like, you know, we were talking about this question. He was like, I think everyone pretty much knows about spheres. There's not a lot to say about this one. And I, I really uh, disagreed with that. Um, cause I think spheres is one of those things where it's like, once you hear it and know it, you're like, okay, cool. I get it. But people tend to throw around that word very casually. Like everyone knows exactly what it is. And I think until you get that, um, explanation of what is even being, what is even meant by that term that it can just sound totally alien. So a sphere, and I'll try to explain this as best I can, but Dante, you're probably going to do a better job than I would Herf as well. A sphere is like uh, it, it. It's the level of items that you have that open up the ability to check other items. So when you start every time with the no items that you have, you know, in a normal seed or whatever, you're on sphere zero. Everything you can get to without any items whatsoever is considered to be sphere zero. So like secret passageway, um, you know, everything in Kakariko that doesn't require a bomb, uh, st stuff like that. Um, once you get one of those items, like a bomb or uh, anything else, you know, any fetch quest item, that is now sphere one. So any check that that opened up is known as a sphere one check. And it goes on and on like that. And I guess the idea is, well, I'll pass it over to Dante because you know a lot more than, than I do. But can you kind of explain why it's good to know these spheres and maybe correct anything wrong that I might have just said? Yeah, sure. So, um, first off, uh, I honestly thought it was kind of like you were just describing it as like a sphere zero, but that's actually not the case. Um, it's it's it always starts sphere one. Okay. So like, I mean, I just generated a seed to kind of screw around with like a playthrough. Uh -huh. So like anything that's you know bomb related or open in Kakariko or rupee related, such as like the bottle merchant. Um, is going to be all sphere one. So if you get an item, like let's say I get um, 
a hammer and a glove in sphere one. So basically anything that's open at the start of the game. Um, that will... Let's actually break that back down, okay? Okay. So let, let's back that back. An example would be, let's say I get a lamp in Link's house. That's in sphere one. So then afterwards, um, let's say I went directly to Eastern Palace. And then that... Uh, the We'll say the bow was in the vanilla big key chest. Well, the lamp was locking that. So that would be sphere two. Now, I wouldn't focus so much on the numbers per se. Um, you'll see some trackers, and I think Dunkas has this. Uh, it has like a sphere tracking uh, type yeah. of scenario. Uh -huh. So yeah, let me, let me launch that. So like, basically like if you found that lamp like I was talking about, if you click lamp, and then you click one of the the uh, question marks, like your top line would be like, say, sphere one, if you're going to use that. Uh, that lamp locked that bow, so when you would click bow, you would click the thing under the lamp, like line two, basically. So that was locked behind that. So then, let's say uh, your first glove was behind that bow. So you then get a glove. Well, then that's going to be the sphere after the bow. So what I, I mean, that was kind of a very specific example. But the idea here is if an item is locking another item, like there's no way to get it without sequence breaking or having that item, then that's kind of how sphere tracking works. So it's like you get this item, it leads to this item. And then that item may lead to this item. Now, it doesn't always work that way. You can't just say, I'm going to always chase the items. Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. Um, but that's an idea of, of sphere tracking. It's just like every time something is locked behind something different, you know, that's it. Like average, sometimes there's like on the playthrough, if you look at that, there's like 10, maybe 12 spheres. Um, sometimes you'll see upwards of 20. Those are very linear or like a plando, something along those lines. But... Maybe maybe that hopefully that explains it. That's yeah. kind of the, the the basis of it though. That's good. So what does knowing that do for you? Is it better to exhaust all of your sphere ones, or do you want to chase the higher spheres as you uh, uncover them? Sphere ones are good to keep in mind. Like for instance, let's say you get uh, um, let's see. Uh, perfect. Okay, here's an example. Uh, so there's let's say hookshot shows up in uh inside of um what do you call it uh waterfall fairy okay but you don't have flippers so what you can learn by doing that out of logic uh you would kind of like you know put that to the side on your tracker to know hey i sequence broke that so you know now that the hook shot can't lead to the flippers so the flippers are not going to be in hookshot cave because that would be tracking your spheres will help you stay in logic when you do sequence breaks um, it'll help you gauge when sequence breaks are good to do and when they're not good to do. Gotcha. Um, that, that, that's kind of the gist of it, I guess. Uh, you know, there, there are like, you could say, all right, well now it can't be on the right side of East Death Mountain, but that's not a hundred percent true. Like the flippers, I mean, it's not a hundred percent true because then you could have the scenario where the mirror pops up and a hammer. And then suddenly you could go the other way and then it becomes in logic at that point. The, the idea with sphere tracking is to know what your logic is. And you can kind of, in a very long, 
term way education, like do an educated guess of, you know, by sequence breaking things and things showing up. And P Train's talked about this a lot uh, in the Discord at one point. You know, in a race, like potentially, okay, well, I can't find my lamp here or I can't find X item here because all of these things showed up in this particular order and in these places. So it, it really boils down to knowing your logic of the game, yeah. basically. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's so it, it relates a lot to sequence breaking and kind of letting you know what is and isn't a good idea to sequence break. Um, okay. A more, yeah, a more concise one uh, that kind of just popped up. If the boot showed up and you didn't have flippers uh, inside of Waterfall Fairy and you sequence broke that, then you know that the flippers cannot show up behind boots. Can't be in King's Tomb, can't be at Aga or Lumberjack Tree, it can't be at the Bonk Rocks, stuff like that. Okay. That, yeah, that's I that's see. how you. Yeah, you can kind of keep track of things that way as well. Like a way to like broadly cross off a lot of checks sort of at once that you know that your items that you need are not going to be at. Right. Like for instance, yeah, if you're at the very end of the game and you're literally looking for flippers, but you sequence broke those boots, you know, well, I don't ever need to check that um, because it can't be there. Now that's not saying you can't get something convenient like a sword upgrade or whatever, but that that's another topic, but you know what you're specifically looking for cannot be there. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Well, yeah, thank you for that explanation. I, I, <laughs> I don't know if it's as obvious as you might've thought it was as I still like, I, I get it now that you said that, but uh, hopefully that's helpful to sphere tracking. Sphere tracking is not obvious to me, but just kind of knowing like, okay, this led to this. It just kind of gets into your head. The the sphere thing, like if you're just looking at the like direct playthrough on a spoiler log or something, you know, on the ALTTPR.com website, it can be confusing. I will say that. It can be very confusing. Um, I wouldn't worry about saying, you know, if you're like an hour into the seed and you're trying out sphere tracking, I wouldn't be like, oh no, is this sphere five or is this sphere seven? You know, like just know that if something leads to it, then that's kind of how it works. I gotcha. Cool. All right, so uh, we're running over a little bit now. We'll go ahead and wrap this up real quick. Um, email, email at gomodepodcast.com. Twitter, at gomodepodcast. Discord, link in the description. Those are all great ways to reach us if you have questions for us. Um, if you want to watch me play uh, Link to the Past Randomizer or write music, I've been doing more MSU streams. I've just about finished with the first track, um, so very excited for that. You can do so by going to Twitch dot tv slash temp underscore um and i want to shout out the game disco elysium which i've been playing recently uh axe told me about it when it first came out last year and told me to play it and i I just now picked it up and uh it's super fun it's like a mostly like text based game uh with tons of writing and um customization to your character and stuff it's just super cool super cerebral i've been really enjoying it um dancy what do you got i just want to shout out herfy derfy because he's a cool dude Hell yeah. <laughs> oh, That's a good shout out right there. That so is good. a good shout out. I agree. <laughs> Herf, uh, do you ha- is there anything maybe that you might want to shout out? Uh, I want to shout out Ghosts of uh, Ghost of Tsushima on my PS4. I've seen more naked samurai butt than I ever <laughs> wanted to see in my life. <laughs> and that's why you're shouted out. <laughs> yep, shouting out all the butts. He's, he's, he sent us some screenshots in the in the host channel. Yeah. It looks like a pretty <laughs> cool game. Uh, but yeah, it definitely has some butts, which is, 
Yeah, it's, we all have butts. <laughs> butts are fine. Whatever. Yeah, they're fine. I'm yeah. okay with that. <laughs> uh, cool. Okay, we had three new iTunes reviews. Thank you guys so much. You, you know how much we love those and how much it brightens our day. Um, we actually had four, uh, but only three of them had text to them. The other one was just a, a five-star by itself, which we still super appreciate. So thank you very much to that individual. But we had uh, folks who left us a message. Mocha Jones 10 from you know from the email we just read. So thank you, Mocha. Uh, Fred, a.k.a. Derf, the uh, mentor tournament darling with a palindromic name, uh, is in our gold, uh, our gold bracket. And I uh, was one of the first people to sign up for the tournament and uh, left us a very nice review. So thank you, Fred. And then we had maybe my favorite review that we've received <laughs> so far from Dandy's IRL friend, Skeeter, uh, who did inform us that the chip was indeed spicy. Dante, your thoughts on the spicy, spicy chip? Um, I, I had told a story about this uh, on my stream the other day playing dance games, but uh, I will never... I, I said I would do this again, maybe at some point. I will never do this again. Uh <laughs> The, the the short of it is playing and eating the spicy chip, not hard. Uh, my terrible digestive system and stomaching it, you know, 30 to 45 minutes after I killed stream and started moving around, uh, not a great feeling. Uh, oh, man. I, I literally, I, I mean, I puked twice. Oh, my God. <laughs> which oh, no. The chip, the chip is uh, worse coming back up, I think. And, uh, yeah, it was... Um, I, that thing's not really meant to be eaten, I don't think. You know, it's <laughs> it's it, like it's, poison. It, well, it definitely didn't taste good. Um, I mean, it's kind of like buffalo wild wings. If you're in America, I don't know if those are like international, but like the blazing sauce or the blazing sauce, like there's no flavor to it. It's just heat, and that's literally what it was. Um, eat, like I said, eating it and playing was not bad. I mean, we still got to do some you know swag stupid stuff, pl- going up GT with mimic clipping and hovering, but. Like, it didn't affect me that much with that. But literally after the fact, uh, I was miserable. I thought I was going to die. Oh like, I, I told my wife, I was like, I think I'm going to die. I'm an idiot. <laughs> I, I did a stream people thought it was funny, and now I'm going to die from it. Uh, uh, the stream I was great. It was it was very fun to watch. It was extremely <laughs> I'm, entertaining. I'm glad people enjoyed it. We'll have to find, if we if I come up with another goal, we'll have to find out something uh, fun to do that doesn't involve me, you know, making myself miserable uh in that sense again we can make myself miserable another way or something yeah well uh do you, did you save that vod can we link that in the description for people yeah to check out? okay the cool. um the vod is saved on my channel i highlighted it so it shouldn't go away and um i did two i did one of the whole seed and then i did one also of just like all right we found oh, the chip yeah. it's time to eat it so perfect cool yeah we'll link those i highly recommend uh checking that out it was very entertaining thank you for the sacrifice to your own body and mind for our entertainment <laughs> uh i would say anytime but not anytime <laughs> no you shouldn't you shouldn't say anytime should be a rare a- occasion i think but <laughs> yeah cool all right well that's gonna do it for us at go mode here's a nice long app for you <laughs> uh hope you enjoyed it but uh yeah we will be back in two weeks for another episode thanks everybody time to mirror out